The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. Chulo. Today is Tuesday, March 31st, 2015, and I'm your host, Poppy Chulo. Listeners, please welcome back to One on One with Poppy Chulo, multiple award-winning fan favorite, adult industry veteran performer, director, and all-around entertainer, Jack Napier. Welcome back, Jack. Thank you for having me. You are way too kind, man, with this introduction, and I feel like, I don't know, Don Rickles. Don't ask me why I said Don Rickles. It's the first thing that came to mind. Jack Napier, <laughs> this is your life. <laughs> Right? <laughs> I'm like, I look back, I listen to you say that, I'm like, damn, dude, have I really done all that? <laughs> you really have. Uh, Crazy. Yeah, man. So uh, let's continue on where we last left off. Listeners, if you have not listened to part one, I highly recommend that you go to poppychuloradio.com forward slash archives and you download the episode because it was really good we certainly got a chance to chat a whole lot about jack napier prior to the adult industry and uh the early part of jack napier's career so certainly tune in check it out yeah it's really in depth absolutely so let's continue on where we left off and my first question in part two is so how did you go from having basically a non-exclusive contract with West Coast Productions into that becoming an exclusive contract? So basically you were, you were, there was like a non-exclusivity and it turned into an exclusivity with West Coast Productions. That's correct. Uh, well, I would, I guess I would want to start a little bit before that. Um, uh, I think like the last, Last time we spoke, I was just finishing up on, on I guess, my very first scene, my fourth scene in the industry, but my first scene with uh, with West Coast Productions. And, um, yeah, again, that was with uh, Obsession and uh, Wesley Pipes. Um, so after, uh, after doing that, uh, oh, yeah, we had gone to the, I had gone to a, a show or two, like the FDA show. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was... Uh, somewhere around July, I'm thinking. And uh, yeah, I think I'd gotten into the industry uh, about June was when I first got in. Um, I guess my introduction, my first introductions when when things were coming between testing and meeting Rob and meeting agents and all that uh, started with March, but it wasn't until June where I actually started, you know, doing things. Um, So... 
after a while, I'm, I'm doing a little bit here and there. Uh, uh, my manager, Rob, he's doing his job and getting me place to place. Mm-hmm. What year is um, this again? This is 1999. Okay. And um, what's what's happening is I'm not realizing the impact I'm having within this industry because I'm I'm just you know me being me. I'm you know humble. You know try to keep roof over my head and uh, you know a little money in my pocket and uh, some cushion money uh, just in case I have to go job hunting again. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Rob is doing his job again, creating a, a huge buzz. Um, within the industry about this uh, this guy, and it's funny at the time, uh, Usher was uh, was becoming a very uh, popular young man, and and I was getting I didn't realize it at the time, but he was using Usher's fame and comparing me to Usher um, uh, at that time. And he's like, hey, yeah, the guy is this fat, big dick, built like Usher, and you know, looks like Usher, built like this, like oh, Bruce built. That was my nice. <laughs> That's what I was called. I was Bruce Lee built. Bruce Lee had a small frame, but he had a very toned and muscular body, right? So because I was, you know, I was tall. I was like six feet tall. I'm still six feet tall, but um, I weighed about 165 pounds. So I was very lean and and uh, very toned. Um, you know, to mention the fact that I, you know, kind of fresh out of prison, <laughs> about a year and a half out of prison. So I saw some some toning. Um, but, um, yeah, I was being called Bruce Lee built, looks like Usher and big dick and blah, blah, blah. All these big names were being thrown around, you know, and catching people's eye and ear with the slicks, uh, while I'm at home and not realizing what's going on. So now he is booking me with, uh, with different companies. Um, He's booking me with companies that are well known at this time, even though I don't know who they are within the industry. They're they're you know they're heavy hitters. Uh, Video team was a, a big deal at that time. I was lucky enough to work for them early. Uh, Wicked Pictures, big deal. I was um, you know lucky enough to work with them rather early. Um, who else? Um, I think I think one of the most impactful decision making company that I ended up working for was uh, Jake Steed. I ended up doing, um, I got a couple bookings uh, with Jake Steed. And, and again, you know, Jake Steed, another, you know, iconic, pioneering, legendary figure in this Absolutely. industry. Absolutely. And, um, you know, so it was a pleasure for me to, you know, just meet him and vibe with him. And it turns out this dude is really, really intelligent, man. If I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure he's a chess master. I don't know if too many people know that, but he's, he's uh, very intelligent. Um, I don't know if he's got a black belt, per se, or what degree or what gan he may be, but I understand he's uh, well-versed in martial arts. Um and like I said, he's he's really a smart guy. He had his hands in a lot of things from movie making, acting to directing to music to rapping. He'd appeared, uh, I think, yeah, in 1999, he even had an appearance in, in uh, Dr. Dre's yeah. uh, iconic album. The, uh, it was a Chronic 2000. Mm-hmm. He made an appearance in the Chronic 2000. I mean, so Jake Steve was doing big things back then. So to show up in himself, it's like, man, this is up. So, um,. This created a very, very huge buzz um, within itself, but also it was uh, particularly um, confrontational, I should say, 
for for West Coast Productions, and I say that because at that time, West Coast Productions was starting to get uh, known for you know having black guys with big dicks, um, you know, doing interracial scenes with um, non-black looking women, <laughs> i.e., white girls. <laughs> um, so that being said, Jake Steve had a title called. Um, uh, uh, was it Little White Chicks and Monster Dicks? Yeah, Little White Chicks, Big Black Monster Dicks. I believe that was it, right? Okay. So, and again, the series is catching some buzz because he was doing some things that, uh, that nobody else was doing. But on the other hand, he was also doing some things that <laughs> other people, particularly West Coast, was doing. Namely, mm-hmm. Little White Chicks and Big Black Dicks. So, um... What ended up happening, because this was, I mean, business-wise, they're literally, the series, the two series are in direct conflict with each other. So if I work for West Coast and promote West Coast stuff and then I go do a shoot with Jake Steve while, you know, Jack Napier is on his way up or what have you, now people in, you know, who would be spending money. This is back when people still still spent money on, on porn. <laughs> so, they would, um, if they were going to watch Jack, you know, initially they'd be watching it over here at West Coast. And now, oh my gosh, Jack is also in this other big black dick series. Oh, well, let's go pay money over here and watch Jack over here, if that's what they were watching it for. And now this, you know, created uh, a conflict of interest, me going back and forth. So, that's when my first non-exclusive uh, contract was was drawn out. And it was on the basis that I could work with other companies as long as what I was doing was not in direct conflict with what I was doing at West Coast, like JXD. <laughs> so based on my first non-exclusive uh, arrangement with West Coast, I could no longer shoot movies for Jake D or other people that were shooting um, that type, that genre. Um, so basically, interracial gonzo or interracial wall-to-wall, gonzo being little or no storyline, and wall-to-wall, pretty much the same, little to no storyline. Uh, just go in, introduce, and go, right? Um so it was about this time when the something about Jack series was first being uh, drawn up, and it was, or the, at least the concept of it was being drawn up. Um, and initially, so my first my first non-exclusive contract came within four months of me entering this industry. Um, Somewhere about, yeah, I got in in June, so July, August, September, uh, yeah, somewhere about October um, was when the non-exclusivity was drawn up, right? Um, But now, at this time, again, my name and my face is circulating much faster than, again, than I ever had any awareness of. You know, I'm meeting people face to face, but I don't, I don't have, at this point, I don't have my finger on the pulse of the industry. I don't know a lot of people. I don't know, you know, what's circulating, how it works. I don't know anything about ABN. Um, I don't know about award show. I don't know about any of this, you know? 
I, I don't know any of the agents. I don't even know about agents. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I'm just basically being led by the hand by Rob through all of this. Okay. Um, so while this is all all happening, um, my my boss at the time was uh was again james alexander at uh or my main boss i should say that the person that i had the uh the contract with my first contract with was uh james alexander and he at this time is, is basically trying to create a monopoly so to speak of of uh you know the biggest guys in the industry he's, he's basically trying which makes sense you know um He's trying to get a lockdown and all this because that's what, what people want to see. You know, he wants to make sure that, you know, the girls are going to come and go. That's just the nature of the business. But th there's not too many, you know, Mandingos around. There's not too many Lexington Steels around. There's not too many Shane Diesels around. There's not too many Jack, Jack Napiers around. Um, so what he was trying to do was like, okay, I'll get a lock on all of them and that way uh when people want to see that type of genre they have to come to the west coast and that's pretty much what happened um to some degree and that also created a, a series which came afterwards um uh which was chasing the big ones mm -hmm. but uh let's not get ahead of ourselves <laughs> that was that was also going to be another jack napier line but it's it's funny we'll, we'll get into that later okay can't wait um, to talk about yeah. that yeah, right. <laughs> um, so um, the one thing about uh, while we're drawing up the um, while we're drawing up the uh, idea for there's something about Jack. I didn't know James Alexander's history and he didn't know my history. He just knew that he had something that was working um, and that was introduced to him by, you know, by my manager, Rob. Um, so there was a point where he was like, Hey, Jack, you know, I want you to have your own series. I want you to do your own thing. Right. And, um, here, uh, I'm ready to give you a hundred thousand dollars so you can get started for budget and, uh, whatever. And, uh, I was scared. I, I was scared because, one, I didn't know about movie making. I didn't know anything about movie making. Two, mm -hmm. I, I had never had anybody offer me $100,000 before. I'm 23 years old, and this dude just offered me $100,000. And he wants me to make porn movies. I'm like, uh... I mean, it's not like he's giving me $100,000, but it's basically, hey, here's a budget. I'm going to give you this money, put it in your bank account, and I want you to return to me with product. It's kind of like <laughs> consignment. <laughs> um, but uh, I was I was scared because I was nowhere near ready for that. You know, nowhere near ready for that. At this point, you know, I, to be honest with you, at this point, I had seen a million dollars before in cash, but you know, it, it wasn't mine. Um, so it, it was just. At that time, for me, it was an astronomical figure to have somebody just trust me with. 
And I told him, no, no, boss, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not ready for that. Not at all. Uh, and he took it like, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> not a problem. You know, I'll just do this and that, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He didn't, he wasn't even, he didn't even nod, you know, he didn't wince. It was nothing for him. He's like, okay, yeah, no problem, whatever. All right, cool. <laughs> so what he did instead is he had somebody else uh, make a budget allotment and uh, manage the budget. Um, he assigned me a cameraman, a videographer. Um, and at that point, I'm going to say that he was the director as well. Um, in fact, I believe he got director's credit, if I'm not mistaken, um, for, for the initial, you know, there's something about Jack Williams. When, when there's something about Jack first started, it wasn't going to be an all interracial series, uh, because we didn't, we hadn't conceptualized that. Uh, at this point, um, this was, this was about the beginning where things were starting to get, uh, very niched out, if you're familiar with the term. For example, you know, back in, if you want to call it the golden age, there weren't so much niches. There was stories, there yeah. was movies, there was this, that, whatever, what got you from A to B. And, um, you know, there were black guys in it, there were white guys in it, there were Asian guys, and it was just whatever, you know. But uh, we move into the age of the website and um, the age of now being able to categorize and and compile and make compilations of what people want to see. And this compilation, uh, compilation idea is starting to become a trend. So it's starting to it's starting to have an effect not just on how people are purchasing movies, but now because they're purchasing movies this way, it's having an effect on how movies are being made. Uh, so now we can just cut out the middleman and avoid a bunch of extra editing costs, but just shoot it in niches. That way we can just go ahead and swap scenes later on. Um, so. Um, now, fast forward to there's something about Jack. We didn't have a concept of this at that point uh, about, you know, niches and whatnot. So the first there's something about Jack basically had, th there was no, it's only going to be white girls or it's only going to be non-black girls or whatever. So it was, the way it was shot, there were, there were black girls in it initially, right? So this is just when it's being shot. Okay. What happened and what brought about chasing the big one is um, once we got into this whole niche thing, it was decided that, hey, we've got these scenes, we've got, you know, like 10 scenes of what's going to be, you know, there's something about Jack, but now we're understanding that uh, it would probably be better to release it under this genre, under this interracial genre so let's take this one scene that we initially shot for this and we'll put it in something else it'll be a different type of jack movie not a problem it'll still be you it'll still be your name it'll be you'll still be on the cover what have you blah 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 but we're going to do this and again in this, these are earlier years of west coast so a lot of things are still i think at this point west coast was maybe two years no about a year and a half old west coast production was about a year and a half old at this time so it, there was still a lot of developmental stage, you know, again, remember there was really only three people 
<laughs> running the whole thing. Um, warehouse guy, James, and Gigi. That was it. Uh, so everything was very developmental. Um, so when there's something about Jag Volume 1 was first released, uh, the scenes were switched around and that was set up uh, and it was catered to the interracial genre. And it was, <laughs> it had a very, what's the word I'm looking for? It was, I'll put it this way. It was very well received. It was surprisingly well received. At least yeah. it was surprising to me. It was very surprising to me. We are in 2015 and people still order in one of uh, its biggest black, or excuse me, uh, there's something about Jack. Yeah, I mean, it's a classic. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I had no idea, but yeah, it, at the time I had no idea. I have uh, my DVD sure, copy. Right? <laughs> and it, when it was originally, it was, <laughs> this was the indication to me that there was something there. Because when we first did it, it was out on VHS. So, so far I have spanned now four mediums. Um, it came out now, or excuse me, it came out originally on VHS. And because of the popularity and the reorders, it was, it was re remastered and re-edited for, uh, for the DVD and offered for DVD. And it was still selling. It was still selling, still selling. And again, to this day, that DVD, you know, nowhere near the reorders uh, of back in the day, but... Uh, to even hear that somebody still wants to get that on DVD in 2015, especially in the, in the day of, you know, tube sites and torrent sites, that the fact that somebody would still want to purchase that, um, it's, I mean, I had no idea that that would be the case, you know, 15 years ago. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. And I believe mine is actually autographed by Jack Napier. I would not be surprised, sir. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. You've heard of him, right? Ah, uh, it happened. <laughs> okay. I want to actually talk about the first There's Something About Jack. And this is a story that I, I love. I mean, I've asked you this about the story in the past. And it's okay. just such a classic story. So I, I want you to repeat it now that the listeners can actually hear you tell the oh, story. Man, I, 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 may, I may need some guidance on this because uh, there's... There's some that I remember, and there's, uh, I mean, I don't know, are, we, are we talking about scenes? Are we talking this one about... you're going to remember. This is about the scene that features a brand spanking new porn starlet by the name of Bamboo. I knew you were going to say that. Okay, yes, I'm and ready. so let me set it up. <laughs> so basically, something happens in the scene, and my right. question for you is, can you share with us about this scene you know was what happened in the scene for real was it just acting <laughs> did bamboo uh, that, actually make a fresh face mandingo come too <laughs> early did you have to come back to finish the scene what was going on all right here's here's what's what's going on i first want to say that okay you have volume one of of the biggest black right i i'm not exactly sure what the artwork looked like but I remember that we wanted to do something cool, have that film strip thing going on. Yes, and there's something there, about Jack, you mean. It's right, big, it's black, uh, yes, it's a whole I'm other sorry, way. there's something about Jack. I, I gotta stop doing that. But uh, <laughs> I know somebody wrote close is like, Phone Dick! <laughs> Asshole! <laughs> but anyway. Um, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that film strip theme was was kind of. Uh, it seemed like it was kind of common with uh, West Coast. I remember when um, when a lot of their movies would start when you put the DVD or the VHS in, it would start off with the horns and yeah. you know the trumpets playing, and then you see this film strip kind of floating through like in a wave before the movie would start. And I guess that was just either I don't know cheap to edit that way or just a cool thing. <laughs> I'm not sure. I never asked, but. Um, it, the theme continued on my box cover, right? And there are segments within these, you know, pieces of film where you see the women's faces, right? And Correct. And faces are, you know, like shot and what have you, right? And a lot of people ask me, you know, what's, what's the deal with that? So let me, before I get started, um, before I get started, I, I definitely want to drive home that one, Everything about this was developmental. There were no preconceived notions about what we were going to do. We were all winging it. Like I said, I mean, initially, he was like, hey, take this money and go ahead and do what you do, right? He was like, whatever happens, happens. And he didn't have a preconceived plan, obviously, right? He just, he, you know, he's ready to let me do my thing. Mm -hmm. And I am brand new to everything, so I didn't have any preconceived plans, you know? And as far as everybody else, nobody else has ever met me or seen me yet. I mean, there's, there's, there's people that have, but I haven't, I haven't worked, um, with this company in this capacity before where it was going to be me and a set group of people and other people, you know, basically the talent, the talent, the female talent was just going to be coming in. I hadn't been introduced to everybody like that because I'm still fresh. So there's, there's, there's directors who know about me due to Rob. There are producers that know about me due to Rob. But the rest of the world, so there's a buzz within the industry among the people that, you know, the movers and shakers, people who make things happen. But at ground level, where the talent's at, <laughs> you know, nobody had any idea. I didn't have any idea. I didn't, I didn't know who I was at this time. Nobody else did. And that's very important. Because um, when we went in, there was really... I didn't, I didn't have any way to go as far as what I was going to do. I was just listening, right? And at this point, the director, his name was Johnny Searles. He, again, he took the stills, he did the videography, and he let me know, hey, this is what I think would be cool, and this is what I think would be cool, and why don't you do this? And I, I kind of just followed his lead initially. I had some ideas of what I thought would be cool, and, you know, I shared some of them, but I didn't push it too much, you know. Um, but some of these... So there were <laughs> some of these treatments, as they were called at the time. Um, these treatments were, uh, oh, you know what? I got to back up. I'm sorry to everybody that I just said that to. I'm, I'm a, chronologically, I'm ahead with, with uh, Yadi Searles. He's not coming to the picture yet. At this time, when I first started, James Alexander was pretty much doing everything. In fact, he is, he is in the scene that you were referencing. He's the one that shot the scene that you're referencing. So, mm -hmm. let me step back. At this point, he was going by uh, Spunky. He was calling himself Spunky at this time, right? So, if you ever see West Coast production stuff, it says Spunky early in the beginning. Oh, Spunk Vision or Shot by Spunk or Spunky Vision or whatever. That's actually James. <laughs> he was the owner. He was doing Shout it. out Again. to James Alexander. Shout out to James, a.k.a. Spunk Master. <laughs> spunky. Spunky, Spunky. Right? So at this time, we were, he was shooting everything. He was very hands-on. He was doing the stills and he was doing the videography and he was, he was the one that came up with the treatments 
right? Um, and and by treatments, I mean like you know a little a, a little, little intro, script. yeah, you know a little a little A to B, a little story about how this happens, right? So what he was calling treatments were again were basically small scripts for vignette scenes and vignette type scenes. Like I was talking about wall to walls and gonzos was basically just an intro and people just do whatever happens. These actually had a little bit of setup, right? Um, a little bit of theme, like how does this happen? What takes us to A to B? And I believe with Bamboo, it was a uh, car trouble scenario. That was very common back then. <laughs> Poor chicks had a lot of car trouble back then. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah. In this particular scenario, Bamboo uh, is a Vietnamese girl from France, right? So she speaks Vietnamese and she speaks French, but she speaks no English. Now, I want you to understand at this time, this is not just the scenario. This was just a girl who came from France that the boss had seen was represented by Mark Spiegler. Shout out to Mark Spiegler. He represents the best of the best, right? I said it. Um, it's, it basically, if you're a girl in this industry and you want to be represented by anyone, you want to be represented by Mark Spiegler. I'm just saying. This is and this is this is not a, a this is not a, a promotion or a commercial for him or whatever. This is just what it is. This is just what I'm promoting. Promote. I'm just reporting, not promoting, but reporting. Um, he's very selective. He's very well known. Um, he has a very small circle. And he's been doing this for, for, you know, many years. And the directors and producers know him and his girl to be very problem-free, which is what you want when you're spending money based on time to make things happen. So, uh, yeah, again, somebody I've known for a long time. And really, in 15 years, I think I had a problem with, like, two girls. Pretty good record. I'm just saying. All right. So, when Bamboo showed up, she was just like a must-have, must-shoot immediately. She was available, and Jim's like, yeah, we got to have it out, right? Mark is like, all right, cool, you got her. So she shows up, and literally, she speaks no English. She speaks French. She speaks Vietnamese. But we don't. <laughs> exactly. But she's too hot to let go. You can't just call the scene off because you can't, you know. You know she, basically, we know what's going on. She knows why she's here. You know, she knows what, what you're here to do, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So we basically motion everything for the treatments about what we want her to do. We obviously didn't have her do too much that required too much communicating. Um, but yeah, so we had her outside the car, just pose here and we'll just shoot her here. So boom, we got ahead and we made that happen. And then we shot the little setup outside or whatever. So she's got car trouble. Oh yeah, we can help you. Oh, you don't speak the language? No problem. Just come with us. We'll make everything better. Bada boom, bada bang, right? <laughs> So we get to the place, and again, we want to establish to our viewers what's going on. Um, so that requires us to talk somewhat, but we don't want to make her feel uncomfortable. So what we ended up doing is we actually put in one of our movies. Mm-hmm. 
into it. You know, we put or put on one of our movies. We put on one of the movies for uh, for her to watch, and we actually on film, right during the scene, during the scene, we're pointing out things that we want her to do. <laughs> like, okay, so hey, I know you don't understand it, so hey, we want you to do this right here. So all of this is 100% legit. In other words, if we had turned the camera off, we would have had to do the same thing anyway. So my idea is like, you know what? Just leave it on the camera. Just leave it. This is about as real as it gets. And I think it's interesting as hell. Just leave it on. And James did it. So we did that. And um, there's a point where I went to sit next to her on one side and Mandingo sitting on other side. Um, and, you know, <laughs> she's, uh, I think, I think she starts off, if I'm not mistaken, I think she starts off either with a hand job or a, or a BJ with Mandingo, if I'm not mistaken. I think it might, I think hand job, and then that leads to the BJ. Okay. I think it's I been a while since I've seen the scene, but I know it starts off slow in a sense. You know, you got to get started right. with the hand job and the blow job. Right. Yeah, well, there was the reveal, right? And that's that's Correct. It, 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 it became known, or it came to be known as the as the reveal, um, because while they were doing their thing, you know, I'm kind of getting undressed, and I, I believe I kind of pulled myself out. I don't believe she pulled me out. I think I pulled myself out. I can't exactly remember. What I do remember is this: I remember that she looked over, saw me, and literally fell out. Like, put her hands on her head, like, you know, over her face, like this. Oh my gosh, this is not going to happen. I thought it was funny as hell. <laughs> in fact, I might have even laughed. <laughs> at, this, at, this, at this point in my career, all oh, this is hilarious to me. So, I did a lot of laughing in a lot of movies. So much so, some people started to complain, like, why the fuck did you laugh so much? What the hell is so funny? No, that's funny. It, it was hilarious. I thought it was hilarious, man. So, um, yeah. So people ask me later on, oh, okay, I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead. Um, so she initially looked at me like, hey, this guy is too damn buku. Again, she's Vietnamese, right? And we, at this point, you know, Full Metal Jacket was a very popular movie, right? Still a dope movie, but it was kind of popular. It was in people's brain at this time. So the whole two buku thing was circulating around the room, like, you know, jokes were going by. So she was saying, he's too big, he's too big, too buku, what have you, right? And the guy who was shooting, James, he was laughing because he was saying, he's too buku, right? Okay. So um, what happened was uh, they were like, okay, hey, you know, Mandingo, we're going to take Mandingo over to the, uh, into the room. Or what have you. So I think what we did was she agreed to do Mandingo. She, you know, she wasn't. She said she wasn't trying to do me. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, so what we did was in this, and again, we didn't. I, I didn't know this was going to happen. James didn't know it was going to happen because she made that decision right then and there on the spot. Like, hey, that's not going down, right? So what we did was we were like, okay, we'll just set it up to where I, I've got, uh, you know a phone call that I've got to take or I got to, you know, go do something somewhere else. Right. Uh, and we're like, okay, well, we'll just, we'll pay Jack like a kill for being here and, you know, finish out the scene, whatever. Bada boom, bada beam with these two. So as the scenario goes on, I don't know if I check my pager <laughs> or if I check my, uh, 
my phone or whatever when I was ridiculous ass cell phones in there at the time. And boom. Oh gosh, I gotta go. Oh, this sucks. Oh, nothing nothing for me today. Oh, I guess it's just you and then bingo. Oh, I have to leave. Boom, and I'm on my way. Right? Cut. So now we're established. And they go into the bedroom. And I think this is kind of what you're referring to. <laughs> yeah. And but, all right, there we go. All right. Okay, well, the now, whole scene, but but yeah, this was this is the interesting part. <laughs> okay. So poor Mandingo. Right. Oh my god. All right. So look, I I want to be real, real clear about this. This is something that you can. In fact, this is something I encourage you to go online and get uh, go to either Gangwink or go to Adult DVD Empire uh, or go strictly, you know, straight directly to uh, the West Coast Production site. Mm-hmm. Or AEBN. Yeah. Uh, and either order it, video on demand, uh, or um, get yourself a copy. Just get yourself a hard copy so you can have it in your hand. Uh, or if you want, hell, you can hit me up and, you know, you can get it directly from me and I'll autograph a copy for you if you like. Okay, I think I plugged everybody. Yes, because um, this scene <laughs> okay, is it's so, epic. Okay, so here's what happens. The reason I'm saying this is just, again, it's what it is. I'm just reporting what happened, right? You can literally, from when they started, right, from when he, because my dick was a big dude. He's, he's not, you know... You know what I'm saying? He's, he's not like a little dude. He's, he's very well endowed, right? Yeah. He's okay. part of the trifecta that West Coast Productions cultivated. He is. He is indeed, and yes, they did. All right, so that being said, and that's very well put, by the way. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, yeah, you, Mendingo, Lex. That was it, yeah. We were those guys. Um, so, you know what? I didn't know that Shane got in before I did. He might have even got in before Lex did. But he wasn't on the West Coast set at this time. If Correct. he had been, oh, that would have been a four horsemen, man. Forget about it. Yeah, but he didn't show up until way later. It was even after, like, Mandingo. Well, Mandingo was still around because he still directs and stuff. But it was, like, way after, like, sort of, like, the, the Lex years when it was, like, just the three of you. Well, that's what I thought. But apparently he had actually been on. He started in the industry before I did. No, I'm saying I as far as West Coast Productions. Right, right, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. If he had come in earlier on the West Coast set, oh, my gosh. It would have been just shut everybody down. Jeez. Anyway, um, never too late, just saying. But anyway. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, Mendingo, well-endowed guy, and, and I think Bamboo, I mean, she's visually tiny, but I think in actuality, she's like four... 10, 4, 11, something like that. She's very petite. She's probably like 80 pounds, 90 pounds max, something like that. Very petite girl, right? So it took him a minute to gain entry. I guess would be a good way to put it. It's a very proper way of saying it, yes. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And drink the pussy, basically. Yes. Once he gains entry, you can literally count the strokes yeah you can literally count the strokes there is no position change there was no time for a change of position there was one position the one position did not last 60 seconds 
Yeah. And you can literally count the stroke. You can I'm see serious. it in his I mean, face, too. Like, literally, oh, like you could see the intensity in his face, absolutely. and, like, you can count it down before, basically, absolutely. he erupts. Yeah, you absolutely can. I don't know what she put on him, but she put it on him. She had she that was good, not good. ready for bamboo. Man, <laughs> man. She, she, she was not ready for, for bamboo that day. He was not ready for bamboo that day. Um, and so, this wasn't his first scene. Like, he had done some stuff beforehand. It just, I yeah. guess, this was... Yeah, she, um, she was on, and yeah. he wasn't ready. She was on, like, Donkey was, Kong. She, she was on, and he was not ready. He was, he was not prepared for that level of on at that particular point in time. He was not ready for that level of on. Or, I, I don't know. There was something about her that brought it out of him, and that is real deal. Yeah. There was something about her that brought it out. There's something about bamboo. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm not going to say how many strokes exactly uh, for for one reason. Oh, excuse me, for two reasons. One, I don't exactly know anymore. And two, you should cop it. Exactly. <laughs> you should cop it and get it for yourself, right? You should absolutely buy cop it. Buy it, or if you have it, go check it out and count the strokes. Count the stroke. I will say this. It is less than 20. It is less than 20. I could be wrong about that, but I don't think so. It is less than 20. Would you agree <laughs> that it was less than 20? Based on your recollection, would you would you say that it was less than 20? I, can't, I don't want to say for sure. I'll say this. If it was not less than 20, it was very close to 20. I don't think there, it was very there close to 20. <laughs> I don't think it was very close to Well, I, you know, I'll put it this way. Here's what I think. I think it was more than 10 and less than 20. Okay. I, I could agree that's with what, that. That's what I think. But, but again, I definitely encourage you guys to get it for yourself. See for yourself. Count for yourself. Whatever. It was, it was an amazing thing. All right, so, and the reason, another reason why is because, okay, so now, you know, you guys know how men work, man. For the most part, there are those super special guys out there who can beat the odds and defy nature. But for the most part, when a guy is done, he needs a minute Rest. to get back, right? He absolutely does. So that being said, um, you know, we expected, you know, him to be out of commission. Now, the one thing that we don't have when we're on set is a lot of time. So it takes a guy. It takes time for a guy to get back, right? Even the good ones it takes about twenty minutes to get back, right? Um, and again, when you're on set, you don't really have time to be doing that. Waiting, and even if you did have the time, I mean, what else is going on? What else? Whatever. What's everybody else doing while you're waiting to get together? You know, it's a. It can tend to be an uncomfortable. At, at the very, at the very best, it can tend to be a uh, uncomfortable situation. Uh, just, you know, for professionalism's sake, people start looking around and this and that and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, with, uh, with us being on the clock as we were, and I had not left yet, I was on my way out the door. I was literally on my way out the door, like in, in real life. And I hear out, has Jack left yet? Oh, Jack. Hey, buddy. And this is still on the DVD. 
this is still on the VHS. Yeah, I remember this was that. N- yeah, this was not staged. This was not faked. It was not staged. Um, we did not have CGI jumping off or anything like that, right? Where we're just going to go ahead and have Mandingo do a few strokes and fake a pop and it. Nah, nah. This happened the way that it happened. It happened on film just the way that it happened. And when it did, it was like, okay. You know, James had to think on his feet. Like, what what, what are we going to do now? I mean, has Jack left? <laughs> I know, Bamboo, that you had said that uh, you didn't think you'd be able to take Jack. But uh, we got to do something. We got to finish this scene. What do you want to do? <laughs> so what it was is we ended up having to call Mark, the agent, and explaining what happened. And, you know, hey, Mark, you know, what, what are we going to do? Because we've only got, we've got one, we, we don't actually have one position yet. And we got one guy who's ready to go. And, you know, another guy who's going to take, you know, who knows how long to get back. And, you know, we've got your girl here. What do you, you know, what do you want to do? So he ended up talking to her. And again, this guy speaks, Mark Spiegler speaks like six languages. And it really, it's hard to catch him out in public without at least, four girls behind him and if you're at a show he's probably got more like 14 girls behind him the boy doesn't play um that being said um he talks to her on the phone she gets off the phone and uh she's like okay i'll do it but alone but being so basically he convinced her look this guy is not that much bigger than mendingo he'll be real gentle and something says blah 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 which i am um, you are. I am. So, yeah, again, that that basically epic scene was never supposed to happen for me. Wow. Know? Well, pause one, and, one second. Before we continue on with the scene, I want to ask, uh, because you've been very candid, what sure. was just the general reaction of, of like, James? and Because and, James was the only one there, right? That is correct. So what was, was James, his response? Her, to... That was it. What you okay. caught on video. That that was it. He was he responded on video. That was his response. Like I said, if you if you watch it yourself, I'm pretty sure you hear him exclaim "Wow" a couple of times. And I, again, I, he he was also very candid, and uh, yeah, he didn't really hold back. So he was he he said a few things that I heard because again, I'm getting I'm still in the living room getting dressed, getting ready to leave because I don't think I'm getting ready to do anything for the day. So I hear him exclaim, and I want you to know, I never knew exactly what happened because it was on film and I wasn't in the room. I didn't know exactly what happened until I got the DVD later. Very much like it was with, um, with the conversation with Obsession and Booty Talk 8, I never knew anything about her part of the interview until I ended up getting, <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. until I ended up getting VHS later, which is kind of funny because in her part of the interview, she starts talking about how she was going to turn me out and turn me on, you know what I mean? Put me out of the game, teach me a few things or what have you. And as it turned out, I ended up, you know, being the one to, to do the angle for the scene. And yeah, she, uh, you know, she, um, uh, she learned, we learned a mutual and proper respect for each other that day. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, what so, about as yeah. far as Mandingo though? Like, what was his response? Did he get have a I mean, response? I mean, I didn't. I didn't really talk to him so much about it because I didn't know him very well. Uh, I believe that was my first time meeting him, um, and 
you know, I, I wasn't in the room, so I didn't know what had happened. I just knew when I came, when James called, and again, all this on the video, hey, Jack, oh, buddy, you know. So I come back, and I enter the room, and I see the girl on one side of the bed, and I see him on another side of the bed. Cleaning her belly. So, <laughs> you know, something like that. But <laughs> something like that. But, um... Again, I mean, I can clearly see that, you know, he busted or what have you. But again, I'm not, um, I've, I've shot a few scenes, but I don't know what James has in mind or what's going on, right? So when he let me know, like, you know, that uh, what had happened, you know what I mean? So I'm like, okay, I get it. But uh, again, um, you know, Mandingo didn't have really too much reaction and I wasn't really trying to interview the man at the time. So I'm like, you know. It, it just, it made sense. It was like, okay, he, he smashed, he came. I didn't really make a big deal out of it. And I guess it wasn't, I, I can imagine it wouldn't have been something that he wanted to talk about right then and there. Yeah, I mean, some people sense. are just like, yeah, you know what I mean? So, you know, whatever, whatever. I mean, really, there's a naked Asian girl who speaks French on the bed and I get to have sex with her. I'm not really trying to interview the naked dude in the corner. <laughs> just saying, just saying. So, um, yeah, I mean things things went the way they went, and uh, you know you that lasted more than twenty strokes. I did, and and again for for it to be a scene that was not supposed to happen for me that day, it, it ended up becoming one of the, if not the highlight of that particular DVD, then clearly one of the highlights of that DVD. Absolutely, or VHS at the time. Yeah, it was it's definitely cool because again it was it was very raw, and. The whole thing about everything about it was raw and real and candid. I really liked that aspect. There was there was outside of the treatment, right? Outside of the A to B, the the her, her car didn't really break down, is what I'm trying to say. And she didn't yeah. really own that Cadillac. I can't remember if it was a Cadillac or something else. Whatever. She didn't really own that, and it wasn't really broken down. But besides that, um, yeah, she she really didn't speak English. We really did to have we really did have to. Um, motion her to do certain things and we had to show her on film what we wanted her to do and like this and that and point to her mouth and point to our you know whatever whatever that was all real and it was just amazing for me that we were overcoming these minor but comical obstacles on film you know so then i'm thinking okay that's it for me whatever blah 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 and then boom life happens again and man you know mandingo you know but a boom, but a bing. She 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 basically stole it out of him. You know what I mean? <laughs> she stole his fire right out of yeah. him. Yeah, pretty much. Like literally. <laughs> she swallowed his soul. Yeah, no doubt. I'm sure he wasn't giving it that quick that that quickly. You know, of his own free will. But yeah, she definitely stole. Can't explain what thing. was hers. She snatched it. So, yep. since, you snatched it. <laughs> since you are being since you are being candid. Right. Did she have that good good? Like, could you, when you were in Absolutely. Okay. So at you were like, time, I see. It was the, it, it, at that time, it was absolutely the, uh, I'm trying to, I don't want to use the word tight, because everybody uses the word tight. It suction doesn't give cup. An idea. No, no, not so much suction cup. It was more like, it was like. A boa constrictor constricting its prey. I was going to use the word constrictive. It was very constrictive. Yes. That is the word I was going to use. Very constrictive. 
it was like I said, I'm really trying to stay away from that word tight because everybody uses it so much. It's like, yeah, it doesn't really, it doesn't really give you an idea. It was. It was like a Hoover. What it was really like, if you can imagine this, okay, if you take a rubber band, right, and you wrap it around your wrist, you can feel in this one small area how it's constricting on your wrist, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. It was like a row of rubber bands, if you can imagine that. A row. Have you ever had, like, many rubber bands on your wrist? No, but I can pretend. Okay. So... I know there are people out there who have had rubber bands upon rubber bands on their wrists. I remember it was like a fashion style once upon a time where people had like the rubber bands on their wrists once upon a time. Um, it was like that in the sense of the elasticity, the tension, that type of pressure. If you could imagine a row of that, it was like that. Just in, as far as constricted. So what prevented you from uh, early departure? Um, at that time, and, and I, I guess maybe this was only this is this is probably the only reason um, that I can think of. At that time, I did not have uh, the control over myself that I do now. Uh, I didn't have control of my dick the way that I do now, right? And at that time, in my early stages, it just took a very long time for me to come. Like, you know, guys talk up one side and down the other about how they can fuck all day. And I'm not saying that all of them are lying, but some of them are. Um, I never really got into talking about this all day, jazz, or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it actually had an effect once I... Once I showed up on set, because again, this is what we're doing is, is time based. You know, we have a certain amount of time to do a certain amount of work. And then we have to get out because we're here. We're on the clock. We're here by the hour. Uh, we're from a location. We're here by the hour. Um, if I got, you know, whatever it is, the point is we're, we're on the clock. So the more that we sit around idle, the more money is coming out of people's pockets. So we're not really trying to do that. Once a person gets what they need, they want to go. And then enter Jack, right? So he does all the scene and footage and the positions and this and that and blah, blah, blah. It's like, all right, fantastic. Jack, we've got everything we need. We just need you to come now. And it was taking a long time. I, I didn't know if it was the environment or if it was just uncomfortable, people around or, or I, don't, I don't know what it was, but it took me a long time. And when I say long, I mean, there were points where, um, I mean, we're... Uh, we were at a point at the end of the movie where it's all about the, it's all about the climax. If once you've done everything, you've taken all the fills, you've gotten through all the positions, you've, you've gotten through the makeup, everything else, and you're only waiting for one thing, mm-hmm. people will give you that minute because it's all about the pop shot. It's all about the pop shot. Everything else means very little if you don't get the pop shot. That's just what it is, right? So people were very tolerant of me when I first started because it took a really long time for me to come. That being said, sometimes they would turn off the lights and just ask me to signal them when I was ready. Often they had to turn the camera off to save the battery. Often, often, like that was a regular thing, turning the camera off. If for me to just go through a scene and then just pop right after was a rarity. 
a serious like like I was getting congratulated for coming at the end of the sexual episode. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, Hector Kane was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah. Um so I think that's really all that was going on with with Bamboo. Um it wasn't that uh that I had the super mind control. If if anything, it was quite the opposite. Uh, I did not have the mind control to be able to release when I needed to um, in a professional sense, uh, which is why I admire a lot of people who can do that. They're, they're like, there are two people that I, that I know were known for doing a couple of amazing things. Um, in, in the realm of, you know, addict control, I guess is what we would call it. The two most famed people that I know would be Peter North and Ron Jeremy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the things that I remember them being able to do, Peter North was known to be able to ejaculate without any physical stimulation. Oh, wow. And it was always a waterfall. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that so chick is going to drown. There. Yeah, right. She's dead. <laughs> She's dead. It's a wrap. He can stand there, hands on his hip, right? Think about something real cool for a couple of minutes. And then let you know it was coming, and boom, nobody touched him. It just like boom, just happened, right? That is control. That is mind over matter. And then with uh, with Ron, Ron is like you know, whenever you need it, down to the second, down to the second, whenever you need it. You know what I mean? I'll even count it down for you. And he's again, that was his thing. He can count it down from whenever you want. You want one minute? You want thirty seconds? Ten seconds? Fifteen? What do you want? And he'll count it down for you. 15, 14, 13, whatever. He gets down to one, boom, on time every time. To the second. That is control. That being said, I don't have that. (laughs) These guys are amazing. I do not have that. I don't know what kind of cyborg thing they've got going on. I don't know, man. But uh, I, I do not have that. I'm not that guy. So, I think that's all it is. I, I think that uh, I didn't have the control to release when I needed to, and there was, you know, the stamina was just there. I just didn't have the control. Lasting all day was not ever an issue for me. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, that's interesting. So, another story that I want you to share with the listeners that has to deal with There's Something About Jack, oddly enough, has to deal with There's Something About Jack numero dos number two all right all right this is a story you've told me before and i want you to be able to share it with the listeners so that they can hear you share this story all right cue me in this is a story about a woman named carmen uh okay and oddly enough it actually happens to co-star with mandingo but that's not the reason that i asked because carmen was very interesting in a sense, she, for lack of a better she, word, she she was she was interesting. Uh, okay, <laughs> listeners, you'll understand why she was interesting. Well, okay, I, I mean, I I want to understand again. I'm still fairly new, and I don't know everything about everything. Um, but um, I I do remember that. Um, the scene involved me and it involved Mandingo and uh, her husband, her at that time, maybe? Yes, boyfriend, yes, something. I, be- I believe. I was going to say significant, significant other. other yes. Significant other. 
Yeah, I'm I'm trying to remember what his what his name was. I remember his last name was Sanchez. I'm trying to remember. What his Miss, we'll name. call him Mr. Carmen. Uh, okay, Mr. Carmen it is. All right, so uh, the scene involved, you know, all three of us, and this this was my my first time um, feeling, I, I, you know, if 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 I didn't experience, I definitely felt as though I was experiencing uh, some some prejudice <laughs> in the scene. Um, long story short. And I don't remember the story so well, uh, but I remember feeling as though she did not want to have as much involvement with me during the scene. Um, and I believe that that was visible during the scene. I could be wrong. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I absolutely remember feeling. Yeah, that, uh, I believe it was. That, yeah. Yeah. To give a little backstory on her, she's from Spain. Correct. Yeah. yeah so and in Spain, a, sort of explain the reason why she felt the yeah. way she felt. Now again, I don't wanna I don't wanna, you know, smash an entire group of people, you know. I don't want to do that because that's, that's correct, because there's fair. good people and there's bad people in various Absolutely. ethnicities and countries and nationalities and whatnot. Absolutely. However, within the Latin community, uh you're going to understand people of the Latin Members of the Latin community are going to understand what I'm saying. Whether they agree or not, they're going to understand what I'm saying. Um, many Spanish people, and when I say Spanish, I mean people from Spain, uh, consider, them to sell, consider themselves to be of a greater cloth, a greater caliber than other members of the Latin community, I mean, throughout the world. Um, and for those that feel like I'm stuttering or stammering, I'm basically saying that a lot of Spaniards feel like they're better than other Latinos. Basically what I'm saying, right? And I, again, I'm not saying that's all, but I'm saying that it's a common enough concept that many of people are not going to disagree. All right, so that being said, I am of Puerto Rican descent. So, for those that don't know, there, uh, this this is a this is a race that is considered to be a native race um, outside of people who are what are known as Taino or original uh, indigenous people of that island. Um, the Island was cultivated, if you will. Uh, we'll, just, we'll just use the word cultivated. <laughs> I know there's a lot of other opinions about what happened. So just for the sake of diplomacy right now, I'm going to use the word cultivated uh, by Spaniards. And it was done uh, in great part uh, on the backs of slaves, slaves who were... Um, who were interred <laughs> from uh, from Africa. So, recap, the short version recaps, Spaniards go to Africa, pick up slaves, go to Puerto Rico, and, you know, somewhat take it over. Um, yeah. Somewhat. All right. So, um, 
which is why a lot of the names there are changed. A lot of the names there are Spanish. A lot of the names there uh, that used to be, you know, I'll, like I said, you, you guys can check the history books and, and, and see what's going on with that. The point is there's definitely some culture and there's absolutely some history, right? Okay, done and done. How you feel about it is how you feel. This is just how it happened. Um, or at least that's what's on the book. Um, okay, so there's that. Now, I am um, a, a, in part uh, a part of this mixed race, right? Uh, there are some Puerto Ricans that are blonde hair and blue eyed and others that are black as my beanies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there's everything in between. Um, so again, it's, it's, uh, a lot of it is, you know, some people will call it for whether you're from there or if you were born there, you know, a lot of it is up to, you know, speculation, but, uh, or perception or however you feel. Um, but it is what it is. All right, moving on. When I first met Carmen, she looked at me in my dark skin and she was just like, okay, black, right? And she seemed to be fine with that. She looked at me and think, oh, black. Okay, two black guys. Whatever. Boom, boom, boom. Right? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And when she was speaking to Mr. Carmen, yes. <laughs> there, there were points where, I mean, her English was not so great. So there were points when she was speaking in Spanish, right? So uh, I'm sure she did not understand or at least realize at the time that I understood much of what she was saying. Um, and at one point I had responded to her in Spanish and then she looked at me like, you know, how do you know Spanish? So I told her, well, Hey, you know, Puerto Rican, right? Everything changed after that. Mm-mm. Absolutely. Everything changed after that. Right. And it was so apparent. Again, I haven't seen the scene. I have not seen the scene in a good long time. Um, but on set that day, it was so apparent that Mr. Sanchez actually apologized to me for her behavior. Mm-hmm. It was it was pretty wild. So, yeah, I mean, you know, people ask me often, like, hey, Jack, is, there's, is there racism in porn? I'm like, you know, is there, is there racism in the world? <laughs> are we just people that come by group? People in this industry are just people from people in the world. There's people in the world. People from the world, people in the world. It's like asking if there's drugs and alcohol in in, uh, in the music industry. I'm like, is there drugs and alcohol in the world? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, I think it was evident yeah. in the scene. I don't know. I can't remember how long the scene was, but like, let's pretend the scene was 15 minutes. Okay. Out of those 15 minutes, you were maybe doing anything sexually to her for like maybe three of those minutes like yeah there was no whole not a whole lot of jack napier in that scene not a lot yeah it was it was there was a lot of uh (laughs) there was a lot of clear avoidance again i I don't remember how how it was edited and i haven't seen it in a while but i definitely remember that day uh it was very clear that once i said that you know once i said that um boom Everything yeah. changed. I think I remember you and, telling me that her excuse was, at least what she was saying to people, is that you were too big or something like that. And that's what that is. That is what she said at the time. That is what she said. But you know, she's taken on there the are, uh, I, I, Again, you know what I mean. I, I don't. I don't 
I don't feel that we are so dissimilar in size. Um, I, I, but, you know, whatever. I'm not the one taking it, so what can I say? But what I do know is that a hand job doesn't hurt. Intimacy doesn't hurt. <laughs> if I'm too big to be penetrated, that's one thing. But shit, you know, a back rub, you know. <laughs> look you know at me, I mean? please. Just, just, just let me know. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah. look at me. You know what I mean? Is it too big for eye contact? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's that's what was going on. So, um, yeah, Mr. Carmen, I really am I'm upset that I can't remember his first name. I, I do remember his last name was Sanchez. I don't want to just call him Carlos, but I remember his last name was Sanchez. I think it's name was Carlos, though. But anyway. Okay. Um, anyway. Uh, but he was... Uh, he was cool, dude. No problem. And, uh, yeah, he just told me, like, hey, dude, I'm really sorry about that. You know? And he's like, hey, I'm, I'm sure you know how it is. And I'm like, yeah, actually, I do know how it is. <laughs> so I didn't know it was going to be like that here. But, hey, you know, it is what it is. My name's still on the box. I'm still in the scene. And my rate isn't going to change. So... There you go. Bada boom, bada bing. Bada boom, bada bing. The series that we, that yeah, the series that we've been talking about. There's something about Jack clicked with the fans. Like it was it, incredibly successful. Why do you think did. that there's something about Jack clicked with your fans so much? Here's what I think, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's you had originally asked me or earlier asked me about the exclusivity. Mm -hmm. uh, or going from non-exclusive to exclusive. And I'm glad you're at this point so I can tie it all together. Um, the We started filming It's Something About Jack before the turn of the century, before the turn of the millennium. Before the turn of the millennium. Isn't that awesome to say? All right. Yeah. We started filming before the turn of the millennium. Um and the first one wasn't released until actually i think the first one was released in the at the end of 99 if i'm not mistaken i believe the first one was released at the end of 99 but uh like you said um it had a huge success uh it, it was very 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 well received when it first went out so um, I believe that it had, I believe that it had to do with the fact that there was so much candid realism in, in what I was doing. I was, I had no problem poking fun at myself. In fact, I looked for opportunities to poke at fun, poke fun at myself. I, I wanted it to be and, and, and again, I didn't have any concept of how to put movies together at this time, but I had watched a scene or two. I wasn't an avid porn watcher. I really wasn't. But I was familiar with all the cornball stereotypes, right? Even if you've never seen a porn in your life, you've seen porn stereotypes because they're corny. Um, I mean, people make mainstream commercials with porn stereotypes. Yeah. Like, and I just checked. You know, yes, 1999. Okay, fantastic. All right, so... I knew that I didn't, whatever I was going to do, I didn't want it to be the butt of a joke, you know, unless I was, the, unless it was the butt of my joke, unless I was the joke teller, you know? So, 
what I did was I wanted to, I didn't know much about how to make this, but I knew what I didn't want it to look like. I didn't want it to look cheesy. I didn't want, even though I initially did a lot of plumber scenarios and pool guy scenarios, you know, in the beginning, because I did not have that creative control um, in the beginning. Um, and it was, it was all new to me at first. Like the first time we did a pool scene, oh, okay, cool. And then the second time, or, or excuse me, the first time we did the plumber, okay, cool. I think I was like Mr. Marcus and like, you know, I think it was like, there's something about Jack number four, I did like a plumber scene with Mr. Marcus. Yeah, like that, that sounds familiar, yeah. Right. So, you know, stuff like that. Uh, you know, the first time doing it, you know, all right, it's cliche, but I've never done it before. But then what happened was doing it another time and another time, another pool skimming thing, and you know what I mean? It starts to become cliche uh, for me now. And I, I knew that I did not want that. I knew I didn't want that. So what really drove a fire in me is when, you know, people were telling me that uh, nobody cared. I really, really, really didn't like that when people said, you know, hey, Jack, nobody cares. Or told me that, hey, you're the only one who cares. You know, nobody cares about this scenario. They're just going to fast forward it anyway, right? And that stuck with me, that resonated with me seriously. And that's immediately what I wanted different. I wanted to approach this with a relatability that people would not fast forward through. I wanted to make the story. See, when you get a, when you get a movie, you know you're going to get the sex. If you watch a lot of porn, you know the positions you're going to get. You know what I mean? If you watch a lot of niche porn, you can basically in your head, choreograph the scene before you watch it. And that's just a reality. It's going to start off with a blowjob, then you're going to go through three or four positions. One of them is going to be doggy, one of them is going to be missionary. You might get a spoon, you might get a cowgirl, you might get some, you know, creative jazz, you maybe get some snack, whatever, blah, blah. And then at the end, he's going to come. And more than likely, where is he going to come? On her face. That's it. That's what's going to happen, right? If it's an anal thing, it's probably going to say so on the box, and you know that somebody's going to get it in the ass. <laughs> like, okay, you don't even have to watch it to know exactly what's going to happen. And that is exactly what I wanted different. I wanted it to be relatable, and I wanted it to be something that was going to happen that people would absolutely not expect. When you watch movies, man, guys want to be cool, cool, cool. Girls want to be cool, too, but guys, man, they want to be cool. They want to be that guy, whether, I don't know if they are this person in the street or not. If they're absolutely that cool in the street, I, I don't know. Or if they're trying to fulfill something based on who they're not in the street, I don't know. Or if everybody just saw this other cool guy that they're trying to be and have a chance to portray, I don't know. But what I do know is that a lot of people just want to be super duper suave, super duper cool, and, and, you know, not look silly or not be themselves too much. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want that. I absolutely wanted a relatable, interesting story that people, when I say relatable, I mean, this may or may not have happened to you, the things that I go through may or may not have happened to you, but more than likely, if it hasn't happened to you, you know somebody that it has happened to. For example, 
Um, you may not have been walking down the street and had a car drive by you and splash water on you from, you know, from driving by, you're too close to a puddle or something, a jar goes by and splashes you. You may not have ever had that happen to you, but you know for a fact that it happened. You've seen it happen to somebody. You may have even done it to somebody, and that makes it relatable. But I figured it would be more interesting if I was the butt of the joke. I can control the reaction. And I can, you know, if I'm, if I'm the butt of the joke, we can shoot me getting splashed six different times. We can get it from six different angles. You know what I mean? And I'm willing to do that just to get that scenario. Why? Because you didn't see that in movies like that. You didn't see it in porn. Another, for example, um, there was a there was a point where I, I remember having a scooter. <laughs> I was riding around in a scooter. You don't see guys on scooters in porn. Really? That shit's not cool. That's not pimping, man. <laughs> and that's what I wanted to do because at this time, scooters in Southern California were crazy popular. I don't know how popular they were, you know, in the rest of the nation or the rest of the world. But I mean, you know, obviously scooters, scooter sales were through the roof at one point, even in California. And California is strict on everything automotively um, or in regards to automotives in California. Things are real strict. Um, so it led me to believe that they were probably pretty popular um, and common throughout the rest of the world. But with all this common um, common scooter acceptance or whatever in the world, you didn't see that in the movie. That's not what was portrayed. People had, had to have like convertibles or sports cars or top tier automobiles and all this jazz. And that's cool and everything. Uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't my reality. My reality was I drove an escort and you couldn't drive an escort through the park. So I had the scooter. I rode it in my day to day at life for fun and my leisure because I could afford it and I enjoyed it. And I wanted to, again, bring a lot of me into this movie who I really am. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to bring the scooter. We're going to go to the park. We're going to do park pickups and I am going to be doing what I would be doing at a park on my day off because I, I could. And I brought my scooter. So I've got my scooter, and how do I make myself the butt of a joke, right? Because most people, well, I don't know, some people, a lot of, I take that back. I don't want to say most people don't do this, right? But there are a lot of people who don't just walk up to girls, especially in California. <laughs> uh, because in California, people sue for everything. Everything, everything. You know somebody won a million dollars for spilling their own coffee in their own lamp out here in California? Oh, wow. Yeah, not a joke. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's what ended up happening. Yeah, yeah, we've all heard that story because that's McDonald's and that's where they had absolutely actually absolutely. put on it. Be careful. This is hot. Exactly. Right. California is known for having some hell of a lawsuit that definitely changed the game. Right. Yeah. Jack Napier, did you know that coffee is hot? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know the hot coffee that you ordered? <laughs> it's it's <hot>. actually hot. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So I'm going to put this lid on it, right? You might want to check this lid because the hot coffee that you ordered underneath is this actually is hot. hot. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, but, uh, yeah, the point is people can get really caught up out here for next to nothing. Ask anybody who has ever traveled to California. There's a saying, right, that you come on vacation and leave on probation. It's a very popular term out here because, yeah, man. California's called the city state. I love California. I really do. But it is what it is, man. You got to take the good with the bad. 
great weather, crazy politics. <laughs> I heard that if you take the good um, and you take the bad, then that's the facts of life. That is the facts of life. Take them both, and there you have facts exactly. Of life. What I will say is, after knowing you for as long as I've known you, that you, like, completely showcased yourself in these series. Like, a lot of people in the past, especially, you know, after we did our first interview, I have a lot of people that would either write to me when I was blogging, or even now as, you know, the host and the owner of Poppy Chulo Radio, you know, they sometimes ask me, you know, what is so-and-so like? You know, you interviewed this person, what are they like? And I always get, what is Jack like? Is he really like that? And I can tell you all, and I'm not saying this because he's making me say this, but Jack Napier is exactly how you see him on film. He's a whole lot of fun. Like, his persona and personality really shines through in all of the scenes that he's done from like day one like what you see on screen is how he is in real life hey uh, that's not how i wrote that i didn't say in all of the scenes i said every scene read it the way i wrote it okay i apologize <laughs> like i remember going to the mall with jack napier and it was like it was almost like a freaking being with him like when he's doing a pickup or something it was crazy you know what i i have pictures of that I saw, did I send you that? that? The picture that we took under that 2007 sign? No, I need to see that. And I would definitely like to shoot those to you, man. It was cool. I remember I had that white that white money jacket. It was like a white coat. It was a white hoodie, right? With all those yes. like chrome dollar signs and all that. It was so crazy. That was an awesome, chrome, awesome hoodie. Right? <laughs> oh, man, dude, we have had some good times, man. We have. We definitely had some good times. But anyway, to answer the question, man, boom. I think that's I think that's what it is. I think that I do a lot of things that are relatable, and I think I try to avoid things that are too fantastic. I definitely want it to be uh, a fantasy scene, and that I don't want people to uh, I don't want people to watch this and think that they could do exactly what just happened, right? The scene, the scene start off fantastic. Like for example, there's a scene with a roar of snow. I'm supposed to be going uh, hiking with my friend Shorty. I lose balance while we're hiking. I end up sliding down the side of a mountain, and I'm really sliding down the side of the mountain. I ended up doing it like twice just for the sake of camera angle, oh, wow. but I really am sliding down the side of the mountain. Um, I'm not sure which volume it is, but it's the one I did with the roar of snow. But uh, yeah, I end up sliding down the side of the mountain, right? And the guy that I'm supposed to be hiking with, he just keeps on going. Like, he doesn't even notice. And I'm screaming on the way down, like, ah, ah, going down the side of the mountain, right? And once I get to the bottom of this mountain, I'm in somebody's driveway, and I look up, and it's a roar of snow. She's on the balcony just laughing. So the reason I say all of this fantastic stuff is because it's one of those happenstance things. I'm not saying it absolutely couldn't happen, and that's probably not the most relatable thing that ever happened, but the idea is that I get from A to B through these fantastic circumstances that could happen that aren't your obvious regular setup. Mm -hmm. So I think that's I think that's what it was. You can tell that either either I have gone through this or I put some thought into this. There was another episode where, you know, I'm supposed to go into a party. Why? People go to parties. I no gotta kidding. go get my hair cut, you know. Why? Because when you go to a party, you want to look fresh. You get your hair cut before you go to the party. Everybody does this. Okay, it's not a big deal, right? Very relatable. So, um, the homegirl's like, hey, man, I'll cut your hair, whatever. I don't want the homegirl to cut my hair because the homegirl's going to fuck my hair up. 
But the homegirl's like, don't even worry, right? I got you covered, man. I can talk to you. Now, she's kind of cute. She's got to fly, wherever. And I do want to save some money. Why? Because everybody wants to save money. This is very relatable, right? So I'm like, okay, I haven't seen her. I go over to her pad, right? She's looking real cute with the super duper short shorts. And we go out by the pool or whatever. Cause it's easy to clean up or whatever. Um, short hair falls out. You just sweep it away or whatever. Sweep it up, whatever blows away. Gone. You don't have any mess in the bathroom and the counter and all that jazz to clean up afterwards. Fine, right? So she's out here looking all nice in summertime fly or what have you. And she's standing in between my legs because we're not in a barber's chair. We're just out in the out in the backyard, right? So I got a lot of buzz about what happened next, right? This was choreographed, but I wanted to do something that people would remember, and they did. So what happened is, okay, we're in the backyard. She's got the clippers. She's fade me up real nice. Everything was all cool, right? But now, like I said, she's looking good. She's got these shorts on and a crop top, and she's standing in between my legs. And, you know, she's like real close, holding the head together. You know what it's like to have a woman's touch where she's between your legs and she's, you know, working on your head or what have you, right? So next thing you know, I'm like, you know what? I just go ahead and, I, you know, she's right there. So I go to get a little squeeze, you know, we're friends. I'm just messing around. I go to the little squeeze, and when I do it, it catches her way off guard. And now she's got clippers in her hand and she is on my head and it catches her off her guard and she gouges a stripe through the top of my head. Okay, uh-huh, yeah. And, and you hear it loud, like, <clears throat> just like that. Now, when I say it was choreographed, we actually loosened up. I don't know if you're familiar with the home clippers, but we actually loosened up the blades because when you do that, when you loosen the blades, it makes a real loud clattering noise. <clears throat> So we did that just for the visual effect. So it would sound more like some really bad shit happening. Yeah. Once it went through, right? It was great for the editing. So she gouges this strike through my head. And I get up like, oh my gosh. I grab my head. I run to the inside of the house. I go in the bathroom. And you can see the strike cut all the way through my head. Right? So... I'm like, look what you did. She's like, oh, well, you shouldn't have done that. And such and such, you shouldn't have squeezed my butt. And no, and blah, blah, blah. And we're, we're half-ass arguing. And then she's, you know, apologetic. Like, come here, come here, whatever, make it better. The sex starts, whatever, boom, boom, boom. And I'm going through the scene with this strike through my head, right? So at the end of the scene, I just go to the party with a hat on. And I still have this strike through my head, right? Um or this huge patch missing. And we leave it in the scene just like that. It's intentional. <clears throat> so once it's released, an unbelievable response, because again, no one has ever seen anything like that in porn. When you actually watch somebody's head get fucked up in the barber's chair, I mean, mm -hmm. fucked up, like literally, right? Uh, like, this this would never happen. This would never be allowed to fly. I mean, people get into fights for less than this, right? And it just, it just goes through throughout the whole scene, all the way to the end of the scene, and showcases it. You see it again, right, from all angles before I leave. Huge response. Was that real? Was that real? Was that really your hair? Was that a wig? Is that, you know, what is, how did you guys do that? Such and such, blah, blah, blah. And really, it was simple. I had already planned to cut my hair. So, 
the thought came to me, why not do it on film? And then the next step came and you're like, Matt, why not fuck it up? We have an opportunity to do something really crazy right now. So let's do something crazy because I'm going to cut my hair off anyway. So we did it. And when we left it on film like that, boom, it did look crazy. But at the end of the day, I just went to the barbershop for real and took the rest of it off. So no harm, no foul. But for that moment in time, captured on film, it was amazing. Nobody had ever done that. So that's the whole point, man. I really wanted to take my time and create things that were, again, fantastic, but relatable at the same time. And I think that, I think that coupled with the fact that I had no problem making myself the butt of my own joke is, uh, is, is what I would credit uh, largely to the popularity uh, and success of the series. We had some fantastic marketing at that time as well. So I can say that, that was my, that's what I gave to the series. But we had a lot of fantastic marketing, too. Um, we had a team of people that were saying, hey, man, you need to check this guy out. You know, I had my manager like, hey, man, you got to check this guy out. People at West Coast, when they were, you know, buying ad space in the ABN and uh, buying ad space here and promoting here and there and salespeople here and there. And, you know, I wanted to make sure that I had a fantastic product. But if you don't have a team behind it, your fantastic product just sits on the shelf, you know. Um so yeah, I, at that time we had some fantastic marketing, fantastic salesmanship, and uh, yeah, man, I, it was my job to make sure they had a good, uh, a good product that they could put out. Absolutely, yeah. I think the trailers back in the day were fantastic in and of themselves. You know, they showed enough <laughs> without showing too much. I mean, they were really exactly. good at like teasing what's to come. Right, right, yeah. Again, everything. What I, what I was I was not in charge of editing, and I didn't sit with the editors in my initial stage. Um, as a, as a, um, I should just say my involvement did not extend out to sitting with the direct, with the, with the, uh, the editor. Um, so even though I got to a point where I was editing, or excuse me, directing, I got to a point where I was directing the series, probably after like volume four, I was, uh, volume three or volume four, I was, uh, like a sole director after that. Um, and, uh, the videographers and stills uh, cameramen were now taking direction from me now that I had a grasp of what I was doing and what I wanted, like a very firm grasp. I would say after volume four, for it's, there's something about Jack, is when I grabbed the reins. Um, but uh, yeah, we had a fantastic editor who, who basically knew what was going on and what would look good. Um, and I'm glad because, you know, I didn't know the first thing about editing and <laughs> sales and all that. So again, just had a fantastic team, man, behind all of it. Cross. Oh, that's another fantastic thing that they were that they were doing was uh, cross uh, cross promoting the movies. Like for example, you would see a trailer for uh, my movie in a different West Coast movie. You'd see booty talk movies and and or booty talk trailers, and there's something about Jack. And you see there's something about Jack and booty talk trailers, and you'd see. Chasing the Big Ones was starting to come along at that time, and, and Chasing the Big Ones trailers would encompass these different things. So it's just like there was a lot of cross-promotions. Like you get one movie, you automatically know about another. And, and they were doing a lot of stuff really right at that time. Absolutely. Yeah, that's very true. Speaking of marketing and promotion and that kind of thing, mm. ever since the beginning of your time with West Coast Productions, for the most part, you were consistently featured on the DVD box covers, and at least at that time, for the most part, 
that was kind of unheard of in the sense that usually the cover was for the women the female porn performers usually you know you see you know all of the performers that are in a particular production all of the women on the cover you rarely spotted the male performer on the cover so what was it like for you to see yourself on the cover for the first time and do you think it was because of uh, all of this buzz that was surrounding Jack Napier that that was one of the reasons why you were featured on the cover so prominently, not only in There's Something About Jack, but also, you know, chasing the big ones. I, I remember that picture of you, like, running with, like, you know, yeah, your clothes. Like, yeah, shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, again, that was... That was supposed to be a jack series but it's, it's all good it uh it all it all it all made sense Again, i want to hear that story as to how that changed after this answer first oh yeah 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 um so to answer the the question about the first time the first time i'd ever seen myself on was the first time i ever seen a picture of myself was on that slick back at a vfda show uh, with my hands in the air, my shoulders shrug, and my my shit hanging between my legs, <laughs> all naked, like you know, like I don't know how I got here, but I'm so long for the ride. Wow, it is what it is, man. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so when I saw it, it was it was you know it was weird. It was uh, I wasn't sure how to take it in. It was surprising, and I I didn't really have time to take it in because um, there were people that were coming up and saying, hey, this is you, you're that guy, would you sign this for me? And at this time, I didn't even have an autograph. I didn't have an autograph. I, I didn't, you know what I mean? I, this is nothing I had worked on or put together or, you know what I mean? It was like, mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't have a, I had the stuff that, you know, that I put on my checks, but you guys aren't getting that. <laughs> I was like, man, that's not happening. So I, I, I had to develop I can, oh my gosh, I can only imagine what they look like. My first, like, 1999 slick autograph, I can't even imagine. It, it might have just been, <laughs> it might have just been block script. It might have just wrote capital letters. I don't even know, man. That's so funny now that I'm thinking about it. Because I didn't know what to write. I didn't, I didn't have a signature yet. I didn't have an autograph. It was just so a crazy. giant J. I don't know, man. I really do not know. In fact, if anybody has something like that that they could post somewhere and tag me or link me to it, I would love to see that. Just like a ritual slick from like 1999 with my hands, you know, my shoulders shrugged and my hands in the air. I, I would love to see that because uh, I don't even know what I put on it. <laughs> so anyway, that was my first time. Now, going to the box cover, that first box cover comes out in 1999 and I got a chance to see it in the warehouse. And it was it was amazing for me because I'm seeing... Um, I'm seeing myself prominently, like you said, on a box cover and, um, not just that I'm seeing about 3,500 videos. Yeah. About that. 3,500, uh, is that about right? Like VHS tapes. I think it was like, I think it was like 3,500 VHS tapes. Um, with my name and face on them. It was just like a huge amount in the warehouse with my name and face. It was just, man, there's something about Jack. And I'm seeing just this big day in the warehouse. It was so clean and it was UV coated and glossy and so full color. I was just like, whoa, the crispy crackle of the plastic when you opened it. And I was just, oh my gosh, man, it's unbelievable. Um, yeah, uh, they gave me a copy of it. I remember... <laughs> 
I was so proud of it. I was like, I, on one hand, I was I was kind of embarrassed because there there's a lot of people that didn't know what I was doing. Only a handful of people at this time knew what I was doing. But for that handful of people, oh man, I was like, check it out, check it out, like, man, like, ah, whatever, blah blah blah. I even got to where I was super excited. I was asking people if they wanted to see it, and I forgot that I just asked my friends if they wanted to see me in a porn. <laughs> Because I didn't see it at that time. For me, it was just like this accomplishment of making a movie. I wasn't thinking about, you know, I was inviting them to watch my dick going in and out of somebody else. <laughs> I didn't think about it like that. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, you're Let's like, have that. a screening. Bring the popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're like, nah, player, we'll pass. Congratulations, Nathan. Keep it moving. <laughs> Ah, uh, but they did want to see the chicks. That was a catch story too. They did want to see the chicks. They did want to see. They wanted to see the. They wanted to authenticate what was happening. They did want to do that, but they didn't want to watch it. You know what I mean? It's like they wanted to see the girl naked, and they wanted to see whether or not I did or not do anything with the girl. But at the point they saw me do something, at the point they saw me getting ready, they're like, okay, nigga, fast forward, fast forward, we get it. We get it. <laughs> like, all right, nigga, well, yeah, you did it. <laughs> it was funny stuff. Um, and after seeing that one, it was like, they already could assume that I had banged all that. Plus, there was the pictures in the back of the box cover. So they were just like, oh, man, crazy. I, you know what? I also remember that our first box covers, like the first first box covers, were, uh, were softcore. So they had softcore back. Yes, I actually back. have the one that you autographed for me is a DVD, but it, it was softcore cover. Yeah. There's yeah, something yeah. about Jack. Exactly. And the purpose for that was to get him into more areas where the hardcore covers weren't accepted. Yeah, I so remember awesome. you told me when you signed it, you said this is like rare. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 that's what it was. Yeah, so, so you, you could get stuff like that into uh, fries. So you would actually see. I don't know if you have Fry's Electronics where you're at, but yeah, they had they had they had those versions. Like if you go to Fry's Electronics right now, you will find Jack movies inside Electronics. A lot. <laughs> ah, crazy. So I was I was gonna reference Blockbuster, but Blockbuster is uh, no more. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. That's, that's basically what was going on. So there were Jack movies in Blockbuster. There were Jack movies. And basically in all these mainstream video places at that time, you know what I mean? You could see the softcore version or the softcore uh, cover in these places. It was an amazing thing. So, all right. The second part of your question was what was behind it or what do I feel was behind it? Mm-hmm. And I'll keep it real simple. Um, we have, oh, the simple part, did I, did I tell you at what point my exclusive contract became exclusive? No. I'm sorry. That is a huge part to answer. So initially, uh, there's something about Jack drops in 99. Again, we talked about the response response was out of control. And James Alexander realizes, hey, um, there's something about him. Jack. Yeah, basically, yeah. So literally. I've already had, yeah, I've already had to do a, and back in October, you know, he's already done a uh, a semi-exclusive contract, um, which basically allowed me to work for other people except for 
those people that would be in direct conflict with the type of content that West Coast was making. But now he's like, hey, this buzz is insane. And anywhere he goes, right, this guy is going to have this buzz follow him for these other people. So basically, if he shoots for other people, they're going to be buying their product to see Jack. If he shoots for this person, they're going to be buying their product. He's like, hey, man, um, I want people to be buying my product. I want everybody to buy my product, right? So if I'm the only one who has Jack and people want to see Jack, and apparently they do, they've got to do it here. He was basically monopolizing on the Jack product, right? And he did quite well. Um, so prior to going to my first AVN convention, he made me exclusive. I believe it was in, it was either December, it was either December or beginning of January, but I believe it was December. In fact, it might have been, yeah, I think it was December, end of December. Yeah, end of December, just before Christmas. So, um... Or, no, I'm sorry. It was before New Year's. It was after Christmas. It was before New Year's. Um, yeah. Got my exclusive contract, and, and that was it. Um, I was making really cool money, um, and I had a set amount of scenes that I was going to do every month. And within the contract, again, my initial contract was constructed uh by Rob Baker, and it was, I'll tell the truth, the whole thing was in my favor as far as I'm concerned. James, the owner of West Coast, was basically the guy who was rolling the dice, um, because he knows what he had had up until this point, but who's to say what's going to happen throughout the next year? I mean, he didn't really know my character that well, he didn't know if I was some guy who was on drugs, he didn't know some, if I was an alcoholic, he didn't know, even if I was clean cut and just might get into a car crash or if I was involved in gangs, he didn't really know my background that well. At least I don't feel like he did. Um, so he was the one really rolling the dice because the contract was set up for a year. And within this year, I mean, really for the most part, everything worked in my favor. Like uh, as long as I showed up and made sure that I was ready to work, I worked and I made money and I made a good amount of money and I was being paid more so I, I was being not so much paid to work for West Coast. I was handsomely being paid more to not work for other companies. In other words, the contract was set up as such that you wouldn't want to work anywhere else. Basically not so much that, not so much that, but uh, because I, I wouldn't even know. I, 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 I don't have that kind of experience yet. Like right now, I'm, I'm barely six months in, you know, so I don't have that kind of experience as to whether I would want to do that. And I've never had a contract before, so I, I don't know. Uh, but what everybody agrees is that once we hit AVN and everybody gets to know me and, every, and I get to know everybody, he was, he knew and Rob knew, my manager, that I was going to explode on the set, on the, on the scene. He knew I was going to explode on the scene, right? And once that happens, it would get to a point where he may or may not be able to shoot me just because I was booked with other companies. 
even though I had a non-exclusive contract, right? Um, which, or I take that back. That's that was that was not uh, what was happening. Is my exclusive, my non-exclusive contract was coming to an end, right? Um, actually, that's not entirely true either. He just already, um, because I was only two months into my contract and I think the contract was for like, the first contract was like for six months. First night exclusive was like for six months and I was only two months in, so that's not what it was. Um, but one thing was for sure. Um, he knew that a lot of companies were going to want to hire me. Um, so even though he had priority when it came to shoot dates, um, if I'm working for and again, I'm a young kid. I like the fuck. I like money. These bitches are bad. I'm not going to be turning too much stuff down, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's say he books a scene for the fifth, and I get booked for two other companies on the second, on the third, and on the fourth. By the time I get to him on the fifth, and at this time, I also want you to understand, even really today, but at this time, for real, a lot of people were, were working two, a lot of guys would work two and three scenes a day which is it's more than I would ever want to do. But there had been times in, in my earlier scene or my earlier days where I had done two scenes in one day. You know, people ask, can you do it? I'm like, well, I mean, I do it. I didn't think there was any reason why I couldn't fuck twice in a day. But having sex twice in a day and doing a production twice in a day are two totally different animals. Um, so um, that being said, when I see and hear about guys doing two and three scenes in a day, I'm like, dude, you're amazing. You're an animal. I don't know how you do it because it's not something I would want to do um, professionally. And for him, as an owner and director, he wouldn't want me to do that because if I do two or three scenes day before I show up for his set, there's a good chance I'm going to be exhausted or worn out or not have a good pop shot or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Right. And that's definitely not something that he wants, but the contract that we have doesn't bar against it. So basically he takes what he gets and he doesn't want that. <laughs> so when the contract is set up, it's set up to compensate for money that he knows that I would be able to make if I was not exclusive. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, so that's basically what it is. I wasn't so much getting... The reason why I made so much money initially was because I was not so much getting paid to work for him as much as I was getting paid not to work for other people. So basically, hey, Jack, um, I understand that you could probably make $20,000 between ten and $20,000 a month if you just worked your ass off all crazy for all these people all this time, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You could probably do that, right? I'm like, okay. Um, but you'd be working like a beast, right? He's like, $10,000 is, you know, a very comfortable figure. So I'm like, okay. $10,000, you know, it was a reasonable figure for somebody to, you know, to make. And the rate that I had at that time, it was a very reasonable figure. A very casual figure right so he's like well here's what i will do right uh and here's how rob constructed it i'm not going to say exactly what dollar amount it was but i will say this my monthly amount definitely made it worth not working for other people and be because i was only working 
at this time, I was only doing seven scenes a month for the company. For for uh, West Coast, I was being paid uh, well above my rate. <laughs> if you averaged it out, I was being paid pay well above my rate on an average. But not just that, it was easy because I was working with the same people. I was comfortable. I was pretty much running show now of things that I was going to do for the things that I was now directing. And um, in addition to that, I didn't have to wonder where my money was coming from or if the money was going to be there or track it down or any other jazz. Like if you, if you work for seven companies, that means you have to track your money down for seven different companies and you have to do taxes for seven different companies. And maybe this company pays you the same day and another company's got you on payroll or another company's taking their time about paying you or another company is not calling you back. There's just the more you deal with, the more you might have to deal with. You know what I mean? Or does that make sense? No, that makes total sense. Okay. So with this one company, it was a one-stop shop. I knew what my days were. I controlled my scenes. Um, I controlled the set. And, um, yeah, I, I got paid on the 1st, and I got paid on the 15th. So I got paid bi-monthly uh, on, on a salary basis. And the best part about it, <laughs> I wasn't booking my scenes at this time. My scenes were being booked for me. I just directed them, right? Mm -hmm. Because of the buzz about my size, I was difficult to book. I was difficult to book because now girls are seeing this and hearing about this and a lot of girls are getting scared, right? Um, and that made it a problem for them to book. But according to the contract, if they were not able to book me for the, to, for the scenes, the seven scenes that I was required to fulfill my end, if they were not able to book me, I still got paid my rate, which means if they only were able to book me for four scenes for that month for whatever reason, I still got paid my entire monthly salary. It was it was wow. an amazing contract. Yeah. So so yeah, and again, I, I owe that all to Rob Baker. So uh, he, he definitely made it happen. I mean I owe it to James too, because he agreed to it and he paid up every time. He never he never gave me a problem about my money at all. Right. So um Shout out to both of them. Shout out to James Alexander. Shout out to Rob Baker. For, shout out to Rob for, for drawing up the contract. And shout out to James for signing it. <laughs> it was awesome. But, but again, I want you to understand, at the end of the day, James did roll the dice, and James took the chances, and James paid the bills, and this and that. But, ooh-wee, I don't want you guys to feel like James got the short end of the stick. This was one gamble that paid handsomely for him. Handsomely for him. Uh, he definitely got to a point where he was picking out what color Lamborghini to drive or what color Ferrari or what type of Rolls Royce he wanted to drive. It, it didn't take long before he was, yeah, <laughs> he, literally driving whatever he wanted. I mean, I have personally been in these cars. I mean, the, the Porsche Spiders, the G500s. And I mean, early. I mean, I, he had cars before they were released. He was doing very well for himself. Very well for himself. I'm not talking about he has that, you know. Yeah, son, I got that new Mercury Sable. It hasn't even hit the stones yet. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. He, he had like Bentley Azures before they were available on the market. He, he was doing very well. A lot of the cars that I know about, I know about because of him. Like, I didn't wow. know what an Iron Horse motorcycle was. 
Have you ever heard of Idle Horse Motorcycle? No, but you just taught me. Yeah, might want to look it up, man. They're badass machines. <laughs> Put it this way. Iron Horse Motorcycles were West Coast choppers before West Coast choppers. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so let's t- talk about something that you've alluded to throughout these two parts of the interview. Or I think, okay. or maybe it was just in this part that you, that you started talking about it, but how basically chasing the big ones started off as a Jack Napier series and how it ended up actually becoming a series, at least in the beginning, with uh, the triumvirate, you know, the trifecta of Jack ah. Napier, Mandingo, and Lexington Steel. Okay. Um, and before I do that, I want to just quickly polish off my last bit of that second or second part of the answer. Um, the reason why I was featured so much on the box cover so prominently is because once this contract went into effect, I now became the main commodity. You know what I mean? I, I or not just you the were the whole shebang. I was his priority investment is what I became. I became his priority investment. And because I was his priority investment, he wanted to make sure that his investment paid off. He had now contracted exclusively this one guy. So he wants to... He wants people to, he did it based on the fact that he wants that people or he believed that people were going to come see this guy. So what do you do when you want people to come see this guy? He's classing this guy everywhere. Same thing Jenny Jameson did, basically. Um, so that's why I was on the box cover. He's like, he put me on the box cover because he didn't want you to come for the girls. He wants you to come for the girls, yeah. But he wants you to see the girls get banged out by this guy. So when he put me over here, um, you know, my name's on the box, my face is on the box, my picture's on the box, and I'm in every scene. It's because he wants you to come for Jack. He wants you to buy the DVD for Jack. So when the next DVD comes out with Jack's name on it, you get it because you know it's going to be a quality product because you know you're going to see this great big thing going to this little bitty girl because it's going to be funny, because it's going to be unexpected, because wild jazz is going to happen, whatever, all this jazz. For every reason that you buy Jack, he wants you to buy it, and he wants you to buy it here. So he, this was marketing at, at its peak. Like, like you said, it, it really hadn't been done before. So uh, that was basically the purpose for it. It was basically to drive home this image all over. So when you, could, when you saw this image... I mean, you're going to see blonde girls, like, for example, you see bamboo, all right? You want to see bamboo again, you see bamboo on other covers, get bamboo, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Same thing here. Put Jack on the cover, boom, boom, boom. If if this is the only place that you can get Jack, as soon as you see this imagery, as soon as you, you see Jack's face, as soon as you hear Jack's name, as soon as a girl talks about Jack, if you want to see it, you've got to come to West Coast to make it happen. And that's what he did. And it paid off well. <laughs> All right, so chasing the big one. All right, so again, I talked a lot about um, this all being developmental in the very beginning. So we didn't know about uh, the construction, the, the constructing of the niches when we first started, but it was something, an idea that came into play like, hey, this is probably how we should do this, right? <clears throat> so now we're going to go ahead and develop a series for Jack, and it's not going to be strictly interracial. You're going to be able to have black girls and white girls and Asian girls and all sorts of different girls, and we'll call it chasing the big one. 
And here's what happened. The it is kind of a double-edged sword because of the success of its biggest black is Jack. Two things happened when its biggest black is Jack took off the way that it did. Two things happened. He had another series called uh, Fresh Hot Babes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, okay. So Fresh Hot Babes. I think it went up to volume. 20, if I'm not mistaken. And that was the end of that series. Uh, because sales-wise, I, I blew it out of the water. It was more of an investment and much less of a return. And reorder-wise, it, it, there was just no way. And and again, from a niche aspect, Fresh Hot Babes was white girls and white guys. And at this point, the industry is saturated with white-on-white porn. Uh, whereas at this time... Um, interracial niche was, you know, considered taboo. And because it was a taboo, it sold very well. Correct. I think a lot of people forget that West Coast Productions did not start off as an interracial or even black-on-black porn company. It started off with a series featuring white performers. Correct. It was a, it was a you know... Again, very uh, all developmental. Let's get into this. Let's let's uh, let's start off doing this. Let's do what what works, and then stumbled onto something that works better, and then stumbled onto something that works better, and then stumbled onto something works better. Worked it's like, well, hey, and then something that worked outstandingly yeah. well. Right. So now we're all, we're doing this. Like, why are we even wasting time with this other one? So uh, the success of of uh, there's something about Jag basically put the final nail in the coffin of the Fresh Hot Days series. And after that, it also did something else. And there was, it was, it was the concept. First, we've got interracial and we've got big black dick, right? Big black dick and interracial. And we've got, we, we've got it locked down. We've got, we have that V market. We have the monopoly on this big black dick guy in this interracial niche. Right. So, and this interracial niche is really, really working. It's selling fantastic. It's, it's, it's fantastic, right? So, I know that we were going to do the chasing the big one, right? And I know that that was going to be just this. But what if now? Just hear me out. <laughs> what if we have Jack and Mandingo and Lexington Steel? <laughs> <laughs> and that was the top process behind it and again dollar bills y'all dollar bills dollar dollar bills man um and i mean if you ask if, if you ask the uh, the fans there are going to be some who went one way or the other see the one thing about this is it created a a, a lot of it created a lot of controversy, which, which really isn't bad, but it also created a lot of, um, uh, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? Um, it, it, um, it seemed like it created a, a necessity for distinction. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I, obviously there should be some distinction between the three of us, but it was like, um, 
it almost and again we're talking about the fans because between us I don't think we've ever seen any rivalry but immediately because we're all in one series it was who's bigger who's better who's this that it was about it was about physique it was about physicalities it was about uh, uh, physicalities and and, and um, or did I say that already <laughs> um, it was about uh, characters characteristics um, style a whole bunch of things it was like we all came together and almost immediately uh, the viewers were looking for different ways to separate it yeah who's you know? better and, and exactly and and put it into a higher who's better who's bigger whatnot so right so there were there were people who were like man I like this and uh, other people were like I don't like that. And uh, this guy's too much of this, and this guy's not enough of that, and blah, 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 blah. Um, but I think, you know, everybody's going to say what they're going to say and have their own opinions. But I think, ultimately, um, I think the reason... There, there was not as much consistency with the Chasing the Big One series for a couple of reasons. Um... Largely, uh, I believe it was because Lex had other things going on. He he was doing things with um, Anabolic at the time, and I mean he was like he was definitely one of Anabolic's you know go to guys. In fact, when it comes to you know the the interracial big dick guy, he he was their go to guy. It was Lex. Lex Lex was you know Anabolic's baby over there, golden boy, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um. And um, with Mandingo, and I'm sure this is something you can attest to, Mandingo was, uh, and, and is, you know, great performer, um, very well endowed, comes in, shows up, knocks it out, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But he, he, he wasn't consistently around. And then when he wasn't around, it was hard to get get uh, get a hold of of him. He was, I guess, the word that I'm looking for is elusive. He was, yeah, he's a very private person. Right, right, right. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, but um, definitely when it comes to relationships, whether that whether that be business or whether that be personal or be friendly or family, consistently, I mean, consistency, consistency is key. So uh, if if, if you can't be around uh, consistently and we consistently don't know how, or, or we don't know how to get in contact with you consistently, um, you know, things tend to break down, you know? So um, it, 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 it basically became a matter of not really, you know, being able to, 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 to get a hold of him or keep a hold of him as consistently as desired. And, um, and with, uh, again, with Lex, he just, he had a lot of, he had a lot going on, man. Hell to this day, Lex has got a lot going on, man. He's that dude. So, um, it was, uh, it was not so easy to keep that particular series, um, as full speed as it was with Jack. And, uh, I mean, with Jack, it was easy because I was contracted. I was here. This is all I had to do. So yeah, more Jack for me. 
And uh, when they weren't around, hey, they weren't chasing the big ones for me. And if it was, you know, just a matter of them not be, not releasing it because they didn't have enough um, uh, enough uh, Mandingo and Lex, then they would try out, you know, sometimes they tried other performers. Like, you know, they tried out, uh, I think they tried Wesley in Chasing the Big Ones once. But the fans, you know, they dumped on that real quick uh, just because, you know, cause we'll just call it physicality. <laughs> so uh, they're like, hey, you know, Wes is great, but this is, you know, whoop, whoop, whoop. And Wesley's not, uh, you know, whoop, 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 or whatever. Fans can be very forthcoming. Yeah. <laughs> they, can, they can definitely be very forthcoming. So, uh, yeah, they don't really bite their tongue too much. So, uh, not like me, I'm over here stuttering and stammering, but yeah, fans are like, nah, fuck that, he's not this, he's not that, whatever, whoop, whoop, wham, we're paying to see this, we expect to see that. Mm-hmm. Basically, they complained, because you're not going to say it, so I guess they complained that he wasn't one of the big ones, to put it that way. That is a very good way to put it, sir. Okay. There were, there were definitely a, a, a complaints of, of that sort going around. And again, I don't want the audience to feel in any way that Wesley is not big, right? Because there are definitely people who would disagree with that statement. But that being said, I mean, it is what it is. There was Lex, there was Mandingo, there was me, and there were not too many people that were built like us. There are not too many people that are built like us. And that's just what it is. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> that's what it is. So, um... Yeah, changing the big ones is cool, man. Um, and, and again, because of the way we were shooting, we could we could swap scenes here because we were shooting scene for scene, and one was not necessarily connected to the other. You could just swap it out. If we do yeah. chasing the big ones, and there's just not enough footage for chasing the big ones to release yet, then throw it in Jack thing. Or if we have, you know, a couple of scenes in the can for Jack, and it'll work out in chasing the big ones, throw it in chasing the big ones. No big deal. Another thing about Chasing the Big Ones is that it was not so much vignette like I was talking about before. With Chasing the Big Ones, not a whole lot of storyline. It was very gonzo, wall-to-wall introduction. You know, just that with it. There was not so much A to B, not so much storyline. Um, so if you did see... I guess what I'm saying is if you ever check out the Chasing the Big Ones, you'd be able to tell which one was supposed to be for a jack scene. Like, for example, if this Chasing the Big One kind of starts out as a vignette <laughs> or has a vignette scenario, then you'll know what that was shot for. Okay. Word. But yeah, good stuff, man. Good times. I haven't gotten over this stuff in a while. Word. What's next? What's next? Who else you got? Man, I'm on fire now. What's okay, up? so... <laughs> As your career is growing at West Coast Productions, one of the things that you were billed as, there was a tagline that was associated with Jack Napier. I believe it's, if I'm not mistaken, this is word for word, pound for pound, the biggest dick in porn. That was funny. (laughs) Yes. Where did that title come from, that moniker? Uh, Well, that, that slogan or description, if you will, uh, was created by by Mr. Uh, James Alexander, and I, I didn't understand it myself. I mean, I, I understand it was definitely marketing. I mean, it's like that's what uh, that's what promoters do, man. They, they hit you with something catchy, it's going to get your attention. You know what I mean? And again, 
I never saw myself. I never saw myself the way other people do. So immediately when I hear that, I'm like, I don't, I don't think I'm the biggest dude in the whole, whole industry. I mean, how could I be, man? That's just how I felt. And I can't possibly be the biggest dude in the industry. And, you know, quiet as it's kept, at this time, there was a gentleman by the name of Tony Duncan, right? Tony Duncan is without mm-hmm. a doubt larger than I am. Without a doubt. No question, right? However, um, and I, again, I just it was just a matter of spin and and perception and I don't know how you want to how you want to call it. Uh, but um, I asked him about it, like, hey, what's what's this about? Because now I've got concerns. Now I'm directing. Now my name's on it. This and that, and I'm letting people know, and I'm in touch with people. And then on the business end, something changes to the box cover, and um, by the time I see it, I'm like, what is this? <laughs> what 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 is this? So I asked him about it, right? And uh, I'm like, dude, I'm pretty sure I'm not the biggest in porn. And he's like, well, it's pound for pound, the biggest in porn. I'm like, what does that even mean, right? So he's like, okay, well, you know, Tony Duncan, yeah, well, wham. But uh, he's a much taller guy than you are. He's a much heavier guy than you are. I mean, he was. I think Tony Duncan got me like my five inches in height and uh, I don't know, maybe at this time, like he probably had me by 50 pounds, 60 pounds, something like that. He's much bigger than I am. That's what I'm saying. Um, but, um, that was his reasoning or the way he spun it. Right. So I was like, well, <laughs> okay. He's like, what I'm saying is if you were to scale him down to your size, I think he would be bigger. And again, you know, I don't want to argue with this man. This dude touched my text handsomely. I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, at the end of the day, it's his product. And, you know, I'm signing a moderate release, which means he can write whatever he wants in the box and spin it however he wants to spin it, right? That's, that's legally true. Um, and I'm not the one saying this, you know, it's my series because I'm directing it. It's my series because I'm featured in it. And it's my series because I'm, my name's on the box. But this is a West Coast production title, and it's a James Alexander owns the product. And at the end of the day, he owns all the model releases, and he can write whatever he wants. He could write Jack Napier ain't shit on the box cover. <laughs> as long as he pays me, there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> but I'm glad he didn't. I'm glad he didn't. But, um, but yeah, that was his explanation when I asked. So he's like, well, I just feel like if you scale down these other people, pound for pound, you would be the biggest. I was like, okay. I mean, you know, whatever. So that's, that was the answer to, when I asked him, that was the answer to my question. So I guess that would be the answer to your question. That's where it came from and, and that's what it's about. Now, now, if you ask me personally, I think it's about selling product. Yes. I think when you use superlative words like biggest, people are going to flock to it because people want to see the biggest. Like if you would put pound for pound, the least mediocre... <laughs> <laughs> least mediocre penis in porn. <laughs> I don't think people would flock to that so much. Or if you put pound for pound, the so-so in porn, or the most average penis in porn, I don't think people are going to flock to see the most average penis in porn. Maybe so not. I'm pretty sure. Maybe not. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it would get as big a response as the biggest or the fastest, or the tallest, or it gets no bigger, it gets no better. When you put that EST on them, it draws attention. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So let's chat like about a different series. A series that I enjoyed, but it ended up not really becoming a series at all because there were only two installments made. The Jack Napier Show. Word, word. Okay. Well, the, um, again, it just was another, an idea that the boss had, like, hey, man, Jack, you've got personality, you're a very fast thinker, you can move on the fly, and you have no problem ad-libbing, you know, you're, you're very good at it, right? I'm like, oh, hey, thank you. Well, what do you think about us giving you another series and you get out and go to these cool places and do these cool things or whatever. Um, and um, we'll take you to different places like Hollywood and Vegas and stuff like that. I'm like, dude, that's fantastic. Oh, the Jack Napier show. Freaking, freaking sweet, right? Um, and like you said, we did two and it didn't catch, right? And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, I think a couple of them had to do with, um, I think a couple of them had to do with trying to invest too much into too many different places at what time. Um, that may have been part of it. And another part of it, it may have been um, well, that's kind of the same thing, budgeting. Um, it may have been a lack of preparation uh, for the idea, for the concept. It may have been, I mean, so many different things it could have been. Um, what I do know is seeing the end result for both series, I felt like, personally, I felt like um, the Jack Napier show shared a lot of similarities with its biggest black of Jack as, as or excuse me, I think I stopped doing that. Well, there's something about Jack. We'll be talking about that one in, in a little bit. I know. <laughs> Wait for it. And then you're going to be calling it the Jack. Then you'll be calling it, uh, there's something, there's about, something Jack. about Jack. Yeah, right. <laughs> Both people want to kick me in the head. <laughs> like, ah, what a bad this whole interview. Um, so there's something about Jack. Uh, I feel like the, the Jack Napier show obviously shared some similarities. I mean, we've got Jack, we've got Interracial, we've got uh, Big Dick. Okay, how is this different, right? It's like, okay, we'll get him on location and get people on the fly, and that was kind of cool. And we'll set it, you know, there was, there was a lot more... There's a lot more plugs and setups and stuff like that, but I, I guess I think what it did was it, I mean, it clearly lost the authenticity of the first interaction um, because there was a lot more setup with the interaction. Whereas with like, well, there's something about Jack, there's definitely a vignette, but with this, it was so ad libbed. Like, I would just put girls in a scenario, like, hey, what would you do if this happened? And then go. Imagine this, and then go. And that's it. You know what I mean? I didn't. When we started, when James started, James had these treatments, and he wrote them out, and all this good jazz, and this and that, and blah, blah, blah. 
And that's cool, but, you know, with me, what my spin was like, hey, don't think about it. Because when people try to remember lines and stuff like that, it gets so botched up. I just put them in a situation and have them improv, and then I'll let them feed off of me or whatever. And then if it gets too caught up, boom, I can control the camera. Just, hey, cut, pick up from here, and jump cut. Well-placed jump cut's a beautiful thing. And then polish it up in editing. Boom, done and done. Um, and then with the Jack Napier show, again, it required a lot more planting for what we wanted to do. They wanted me to basically go out and kind of interview people and talk to people like on the fly and stuff like that. But here's another problem that I think uh, happened. We shot a lot of stuff like on location, like on Hollywood Boulevard. Well, you can't really do that for profit. <laughs> There's something called, um, uh, oh, what is that called? When you're able to shoot stuff in public and you can shoot uh, their private stuff. Public domain. Mm -hmm. So there's something called public domain where if I go up and I shoot stuff and I catch a McDonald's sign and I catch a, a Coke sign and I catch a Pepsi sign and I catch a person's face and all this jazz, it is absolutely 100% publicly legal as long as I am not making money out of it. If it's for a documentary or if I'm just like posting it or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Or if I want to turn it into a movie and, and post it on YouTube or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I can absolutely do that 100% legal. Nobody can tell me anything. Public domain. As long as I'm not in somebody's private house or shooting into their house, public domain. As long as I'm not shooting into their, uh, you know, as long as I'm not in intentionally shooting into their place of business or, or private property or what have you, public domain. Um, however, we were trying to make money off stuff we were doing. So now we're, imagine being on Hollywood Boulevard and trying to shoot a bunch of stuff and trying to get scenery and scenario, um, and realizing that there are logos, trademark, copywritten logos everywhere, everywhere. People's faces. I mean, how do I get a crowd shot without shooting the crowd? How do I shoot Hollywood Boulevard and me trying to pick up people on Hollywood Boulevard without shooting people? So, on one hand, we knew that there were certain things that we were going to have to blur and mosaic and stuff like that. But when it actually all came down to it, it's like, oh, we can't show this, can't show that, can't show this, can't show this, can't show that. So it was either mosaic stuff or cut stuff. And after a while, it just wasn't worth shooting. It wasn't worth the shot. And this is something I don't think was, was thought about initially. Um, just this, the way of shooting style was different. The approach was different. And I think that um, that had a lot to do with it. And once all the stuff was cut away, once all the out and about, out in the middle of the street type stuff, you know, Vegas Strip and, and Hollywood Boulevard, once that's all taken away, because, I mean, you really can't use it. Um, you're left with the same thing we already do, basically. <laughs> That's what I think. I think it has to do with, uh, with that. So, um, it didn't catch. It didn't catch. And I think, I think that that's why. It could be something completely different. I don't know. But that's what I think it was. Yeah, but I did have fun, man. Jack Neighbor's show.
Yeah, I thought it was a fun title. A it fun mini-series, for lack of a better word, right. since there were only two. Uh, what do you call that one when you just, uh, I, I think, yeah, I think you just got one and a, and a sequel. <laughs> yeah, sequel, basically. <laughs> basically, yeah. When you started off your exclusivity contract with West Coast Productions, were you the only male exclusive that they had? That they had, yes. I was okay. the only exclusive, period. They had never, I was the first. Okay. The first and the only? They ever had. As far as performer? Yeah. Well, uh, they had a couple of other contract girls after me that I know of. I don't know if they ever had any exclusive guys. Um, I know that they had contract directors. Well, we're talking performers. I know that yeah. they had contract directors, like Alex Duvall, if you're familiar. I believe Correct. he's a contract director. Um, but I don't know that they had any other contract male performers that I, that I know of. And if they did, it might have been after I left. Um, and uh, as far as girls, I, I mean, I'll put it this way. <laughs> there were a couple people who I believe had some sort of, there were a couple of girls, I think there was like three or four, a small handful, uh, less than five, that uh, had contracts, but none of those contracts lasted very long. And I mean, they, they didn't even last long enough to promote, put it that way. I, I, don't, I don't think that you have ever seen, if you were, put it this way, if you had ever seen a promotion for a West Coast contract girl, you wouldn't even be asking me that question. <laughs> so that's how long they did not last <laughs> your series there's something about jack the the series that yeah. launched you in particular at west coast productions mm. that you're sort of best known for lasted yeah. up to if i'm not mistaken like 38 volumes i think that's what it my was, research found i believe i believe that is correct um, but I want to be, clear about that. Um, I was, there were a few things that were released after I was, uh, no longer shooting at the company. And some of the things that I had done for other students were broken up and placed into other, uh, series and placed in other volumes. And some of the things that I were done were basically like compilations. And uh, the only reason, like for example, uh, I believe that uh, Jack 36 or something about Jack 36, I'm trying to remember it, but I, I do remember there's like, like one or two scenes that I'm not even in in the movie. And it was just like kind of thrown in there. Um, and there are a couple that are, that are like that. Uh, a couple of the latter ones were like that. Um, yeah, I think that's right. I think they threw in like maybe like a Brian Pumper or someone. Yeah. Who was also like in, you know, directing and stuff, or at least starring in a lot of West Coast production things. Right, right. And in fact, you know what, that being said, he may have had a contract. He may have been a contract, uh, director, he may have been a producer. Uh, but again, that was something that also occurred, you know, after I left. Um, so, uh, but I, I, I couldn't say, I don't really know, but uh, I do like you, like you said, he was definitely doing uh, quite a bit of stuff for West Coast. Okay. So, so my next question was going to be, 
well, as a follow-up, but I guess you're kind of answering it, is, you know, why did the series stop at that number? So it, it was because you left West Coast. That is correct. Okay. That is correct. My, my contract was over. So let's talk about your departure from West Coast Productions. Um, that is um, interesting. Uh, <laughs> I'll put it this way. I don't, as candid as I am being, I don't have a problem being candid about myself because I know, you know, what I was thinking, what I was feeling, blah, blah, blah. But in terms of how things went with me uh, finally leaving West Coast, uh, to be 100% perfectly clear, um, I did not want to leave West Coast, right? It was never something that I wanted to do. Um, but to be, uh, 100% accurate for whatever reason, there was a point. And I want you to understand, um, although now West Coast has developed into a, uh, a top tier company with, um, with staff and payroll and healthcare and all this fantastic jazz, right? Uh, it had been about seven years, I believe. Um, this was... This was, uh, what, 99 to 2006, I think? Yeah, so about seven years. Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so, um, I had never worked underneath anyone else besides James Alexander. So, to, to, be, to be clear, other people that came in, they reported to... Uh, a general manager or they reported to their boss or they reported to a director or whatever the case was, whoever it was they reported to. Um, I didn't have that because I came in very early and I was dealing directly with the boss and for the rest of the time that I was there, I was dealing directly with the boss, with the owner, you know. Um, so I will say this. There was a time when he made on awful lot of money really fast and you know you do what people do when you make an awful lot of money man you you enjoy it <laughs> you live life you do things you buy cars you buy houses you take trips that's what you do why because you're rich and you can <laughs> that being said there came a point where i was having increasing difficulty communicating with him for example um uh, yeah, the cell phone rate plan <laughs> probably wasn't covering Cuba at the time. <laughs> so if he took off to Cuba for a month and a half, you know what I mean? And I wasn't working underneath anybody else, right? I report directly to him, but if I can't contact him, then what do I do for the next month and a half, you know? So... Uh, just an example, but, but, uh, that's, um, basically what was going on. There was a point where I was having increasing difficulty, uh, contacting him. Um, so although I wasn't reporting to anyone underneath him, I was trying to talk to other people, like, you know, people in his payroll, people on his staff, his, his general manager, like, Hey, uh, you heard from James? They're like, nah, man. <laughs> hey, you heard from James? Like, nah, man. I just know he's in Cuba. 
phone's going straight to voicemail. We can't leave any messages because, you know, whatever, whatever, right? I'm like, all right. So, yeah, as time went on, it was like, okay, well, uh, my contract is up. And I have not heard from this person in a significant amount of time. You know, my loyalties are still here, but I, you know, I'm not sure what to do. So, um, it was a while before I started, um, before I started working for other companies in, in lieu of, of not hearing from him. So, um, after that, uh, it was about another six months uh, before I, oh, four months? Another four months, yeah. Four months, I was working for other companies, and then after the uh, fourth month, uh, I inked a deal with, uh, with Voyeur Media, mm -hmm. um, uh, or what was, basically what was to become uh, Voyeur Media. Um, and I had to deal with, uh, with Steve Orenstein, uh, the owner of Wicked Pictures and, uh, Vince Boyer. And, uh, yeah, Boyer Media, stage was set, exclusive contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. So, so uh, that leads me directly to the next question. All right, cool, Look at you, cool. Jack Neighbor, just setting shit up. I love it. I try, man. I and know. I, again, I'm, I wasn't trying to be, you know, all super vague about the last one, but I mean, really, uh, I haven't seen much of James Alexander, and, and if you think Mandingo's a loser, you've got nothing on this guy. Well, there <laughs> right. you go. Right. So I've seen him a couple times in passing and, you know, conversations. I think, yeah, put it this way, I saw him once in the street. I saw him once in Vegas in the elevator. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, snap. Hey, what's up? And then I got an accidental email from him once. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> it was a lot of stuff. But, um, yeah, you know, as far as, hey, what's going on? You know, not so much. Or, you know, what happened with this? Or glad you're back and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, to this day, a lot of people are like, man, you need to go back to West Coast and, uh, you know. As a matter of fact, <laughs> last year, someone named George, right, someone named George was like, hey, Jack, I guess he was uh, was uh, supposed to be a, a talent coordinator or something for West Coast, right? And uh, he's like, hey, Jack, man, you should... Uh, you should come down to the West Coast and, and something. You should come down and talk to James and all this blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm like, did James ask you to tell me that or, or what? And, and that never came up. And then I lost uh, responses from Mr. George. Um, I, I don't know. To, to be clear, though, no bad blood between me and West Coast. And uh, these, these people that put me on the map. So, you know, whenever they call, I'll do whatever I can to. I mean, based on whatever my current situation is. But if they ever to call, if there's something I can do for them, man, I'm more than happy to do that. Awesome. Good to hear. Word. Word. Okay, so I'm trying to think if I have the chronology right. The first series that you did for Voyeur was It's Big, It's Black, It's Jack, right? Uh, that was the first series, yeah, the first series that I started with them. I'm trying to think if that's the first movie I did, but I don't think it was. But, um, 
I think the first movie that I did for them was a scene in uh, Breaking Him In. Yeah. I think that might have been it. Uh, but yeah, the first series that I started for them was it's like Jack, and I believe that Devin Lee was the first scene and the box cover girl. Okay, so how did that series come about? Did they, I mean, basically say you know we would like something that's kind of like there's something about Jack? Like how did that come about? Vince Boyer is somebody who has been wanting to work with me for quite some time, and he had let me know that uh, I've run across him. Uh, several times in Vegas, we we sat down, had uh, you know dinner or hung out in the club or you know a bar or whatever, chopped it up here and there, and you know we exchanged numbers and cards and what have you. And he, like I said, he had openly expressed that he wanted to work with me for a while, but you know it was exclusive. Um, <clears throat> so when that exclusivity uh, ended, and you know I was starting to be seen working for other companies, obviously the question is starting to rise up. They're like, oh, hey, what's, that? what's going on over here? You, uh, <laughs> what's going on? You, uh, you, uh, not exclusive work company? Oh, yeah. You know, so it kind of started to get around. And finally, it got, the word got to, uh, to them. And he's like, hey, I'm hearing you just show up for such and such. You got, you're, you're done with, uh, whoop, whoop, wham. And, uh, there was a lot going on because there were when this, when this happened. Uh, again, I'm 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 connected with uh, the success of several series uh, at West Coast Productions by this time now, and um, they uh, a lot of people know that I know how to put a movie together with uh, some thought and some caring and some creativity and and I, uh, and I bring something to the table as far as that's concerned. Uh, this day, okay, but anyway. <laughs> so, um, so now, I'm what one might consider a uh, hot commodity, if you will. Uh, I was a big damn deal. Yeah, kind of. So at this time, without getting to a whole bunch of name dropping and, and this and that, there, I was approached by four different companies as far as uh, doing um, doing exclusive deals. And, you know, I had talks back and forth and, and meetings back and forth and conversations back and forth. But at the end of the, beat, at the, end of the day, um, what I wanted to do was make better movies and... Not that my West Coast movies weren't fine, fun, and fantastic, but what I wanted to do was make better movies. Um, and I wanted to be more... I wanted to be more in control, and I wanted to be more in-depth, and I wanted to be more hands-on with what I was doing. At West Coast, uh, there were a lot of things, for example, uh, like I said, the editing... Um, a director should always sit with his editor because if not, um, at the end of the day, it's the editor's vision that's going to hit the master. It's the editor's interpretation that's going to hit the master. So if you're the director and you want your vision to hit the master, then you better make sure that you sit with the editor because at the end of the day, 
it's what the editor puts together that's going to hit the master. Um, and I remember having a lot of concepts and ideas and certain things that I wanted to see that never came to fruition because I didn't have a chance to sit with the editor <clears throat> in my earlier years. So after talks with, um, with these uh, four companies, um, Vince was the one that was offering me more of what I wanted. Um, there was um, there was definitely a, a, there was definitely a shift uh, from what rates were in 2006 uh, to what they were in um, you know 2000 2001 2002 I would say things belong for me I would say things peaked at about 2003 2004 that's when my rates were my rate was uh, probably the highest 2004 2005 right around there the highest but the industry itself was starting to shift and um, this is when we were starting to see a lot of bootlegging uh, I remember when the industry shifted from VHS to, to DVD, everybody thought that all oh, sales were going to go through the roof because DVD is so much cheaper, VHS was more expensive, it had more parts, it was like, just for the first to purchase it, you know what I mean, it cost more because it was so much more involved with a VHS tape versus a DVD. Well, it ends up being, as you well know, ended up being a, a double-edged sword because not only was it easier for us to make and sell and uh, duplicate and reproduce and all of this and cheaper to do and easier and faster, it also came that much easier and faster to bootleg. And when bootlegging of DVD hit, it hit hard. <laughs> it hit hard, man. There already bootleg VHS tapes. I remember seeing boxes of bootleg VHS tapes coming in uh, that people had to be subpoenaed and people were going to jail for and all this jazz. It was real, man. People were going to the streets just like collecting stuff. Going out with vice cops was like, yo, stop, freeze, and forget the wall. <laughs> you know, and they're getting arrested with all these West Coast porn tapes that were all bootlegs and stuff. It's crazy to see. Um, so now when the DVD comes, it's even faster, it's even easier, it's easier to conceal, it's faster to duplicate, they're making machines that duplicate five at a time. Uh, and the cost of, of, of a DVD, you can get DVDs by the cases for what it would cost to get just a few VHS tapes. You can get them by the cases now. Boom, 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 replicate, make your money, it's higher quality, looks better, sounds better, easier to do, cheaper to replicate, right? It's a very big deal. And because it was happening so widespread throughout the industry, the whole industry was taking a loss financially. That was the first time. The whole tube side thing is a whole other deal. <laughs> All right, so bring that back to where I am now in 2006. This is like, hey, here's where we are now in the industry. And I'm like, yeah, I understand that. He's like, I'm not going to be able to pay you what you were making at West Coast Productions. I'm like, yeah, I understand that. <laughs> what else are they going to pay me at West Coast anymore? <laughs> That's all right, I understand. All right, so 
Um, he's like, but that being said, I'll give you what you want as far as making the movie. He's like, but you got to understand, it comes with a lot more responsibility than you ever had before. I'm like, well, that's okay. I want to do it. I didn't understand it at the time, but I knew that I wanted it. It did come a lot with a lot more responsibility. So definitely, I, I ended up putting a lot more on my shoulders. But with that came all the rewards as well. With that came the recognition as well, and with that came the rewards. And then, after my first year at Voyeur, uh, first year was nomination, and second year was actually award. In fact, it was award after award after award. First year was nomination, then it's just award. The next year, award. The next year, award. It's pretty awesome. Absolutely, man, and well-deserved. Thank you, sir. I think I skipped ahead, but yeah. <laughs> I think so. It's, <laughs> I haven't gotten to that part yet, Mr. Napier. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, it was it was cool. Okay, so anyway, um, so I meet I meet up with uh, with with Vince and with uh, Steve. Now Steve's Ornstein again, owner of Wicked Pictures. His background is high end, glamorous uh, couple marketed movies, right? Um, again, if you're familiar with Wicked Pictures, you know you know what they do. And if you're not, yeah, you should make yourself familiar, man. They put good stuff out, all quality. Like I said, it's high quality, it's uh, high end, great production value, fantastic directors, directors, beautiful contract girls, uh, knowledgeable contract directors, well experienced, and uh, yeah, man, cool budget projects, and it's visible in the. Uh, in the uh, in the product, the production value, um, and um, basically, <clears throat> Vince and Steve had the idea of doing this type of high-end gonzo, you know, uh, basically bringing all the good production quality of that wicked picture, high-end production value to the gonzo world, right? Um, and and this lawyer, you know, people may disagree with me as far as this is concerned, but when it comes to, you know, people are going to want to direct the way they direct, and people are going to have their visions and their views the way they want to have their visions and views, and, you know, they maybe would like to see movies the way they would like to see their movies. But if I were going to if you were to ask me who I think is the master at production, who has production down to a science, who knows production better than anybody else, I would say Vince Boyer. He's got it down to a science. Again, you may look at his skills and be like, oh, man, I think I can take better skills. You can look at the videography and be like, oh, you know, I probably would have shot it this way. Or you may look at the location and be like, man, maybe I thought I would have got the same fine and dagny, it's a matter of preference. But as far as knowing production, I think it'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who knows the intricacies of production and what's needed and all the safe gates and, and all the pitfalls and how to avoid all the pitfalls. You'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who has production mastery to a science the way he does who has mastered production the way he has. He'd be hard pressed. So I was, I was very uh, fortunate to learn the things I did from him. And again, that's what brought about uh, these biggest black series. Basically, a couple guys who wanted to do some very, very high-end gonzo 
and they come across a guy who they feel will bring a lot to the table, who did fantastic things in, in the vignette world, who has personality, creativity, and, uh, you know, big life pick in the interracial world. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, basically, if they could bring, if you could put Vince's gonzo expertise and match it with Wicked Pictures, high-end quality, and then marry it with uh, Jack Napier's Jack Napierness. <laughs> then uh, they felt like they would have a winning product, and that's how the book series came about. Unfortunately, Jack, we were running out of time. We actually went over time, but the stories were so damn good. It was great to hear basically your story of, of your career in the industry thus far up to this point where you're now at Voyeur Media. So I was wondering, would you be willing to come back for an additional part to continue telling the listeners and your fans <laughs> your story? Part three? Part three? Jack David, part three? Hell yeah, dude. This is awesome. Power 106 would never give me this kind of exclusive coverage. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> Three parts? <laughs> yeah, man. Hell yeah. Sounds like, good. Maybe I'm on the radio. <laughs> exactly. So before I let you go, though, I want you to fill in the listeners just in case. If they don't know, where can they find you on the web, social media? Oh, man. Uh, on the web, I am on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash Jack Napier fan page. And I am on Instagram at Jack Napier Live. I'm also on Twitter at Jack Napier Live. And incidentally, I'm doing a fundraiser right now that's benefiting the Pasadena Ronald McDonald House Charities. There's the Walk for Kids event on April 12, 2015. So... If you want to know how to link to my page, as far as that's concerned, you can just go to tinyurl, T-I-N-Y-U-R-L, slash Jack's Walk for Kids. That's J-A-C-K-S-W-A-L-K-F-O-R-K-I-D-S. And that will take you directly to my page for donations. A ding! Fantastic. And uh, your Twitter? My Twitter is at Jack Napier Live. J-A-C-K-N-A-P-I-E-R-L-I-V-E. Perfect. Well, Jack, once again, I want to thank you so much for coming back for part two. Thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate it. You're welcome. And listeners, I also want to thank you for tuning in to One on One with Poppy Chulo. Tune in for brand new episodes of One on One with Poppy Chulo every Wednesday and Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. You can download this episode and many more by visiting poppychuloradio.com forward slash archives. Registered users will gain access to the Poppy Chulo Radio archives of previously aired broadcasts. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at contact at poppychuloradio.com. Follow us on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash poppychuloradio and like us on Facebook by going to facebook.com forward slash poppychuloradio. With that, Jack Napier and I would like to once again wish you and yours a wonderful night. Good night, listeners. Good night, listeners.